roll tape. What's that you have in your hand, boy? Pass it over. A telegram. Oh dear. Seems someone has been biting me. Fetch me my trousers at once. No, not those. Those are my time travel trousers. Those are my tea trousers. That's it. Those ones. My fighting trousers. Regarding your recent foray into the rap business and the scene you portray See, I don't normally approve of war games But he's biting is what they all say And by Harry Hello, welcome back to the Bacon Burgers I'm Tristan and I've been in the UK for a week So therefore I might have picked up a bit of an accent You can maybe pick out the things that I'm saying But what we might have to do is I might have to get a translator involved Garrett, can you help me out? Mate, how you doing? I'm from up north, even in case you oh. can't tell. I think that's sort of quite a good thing. We should all do these kind of accents for the rest of the show. No, I think what we do is talk a little down, down, down south. Jumping into too many, so many serious cider apples. That's how they all talk down there. That's hello, all just. Hello, hello. That's how they talk up north, actually. Jungle wurzels. Wurzels. Hello, hello, hello. What do we have here, your Nick son? Yeah, you're fucking nicked. We are the Bacon Burgers. We are, we are back. We are back. We were meant to record before I went away, but it all fell to shit. Um, everything's kind of. Oh my god! It's been a it's been a wild couple of couple of weeks, hasn't it? I went to uh, I, I went to England. I'll more on that later. Uh, we've had like I've had, I've been to two events in the last couple of weeks, and then I'm finally sort of back. And yeah, it's good. Um, I think we'll sort of skip the intro entirely and just get stuck straight into it. Sneaky, what have you been doing? Oh, let's see. Um, been working on my uh, uh, British in North Africa uh, stuff, Ooh. which is a new one for Very me. Nice. We, always, we always said one day I'd do a desert army, and uh, lo and behold, the uh, <laughs> irony of that being that I I had some, some dead stuff that I gave away to a mate of mine before this idea was even a... Uh, uh, a germ in my my mind. Um, but now I kind of I'd kind of like it back, but I can't really do that. No, I can't be an Indian giver. No, to get at people uh, get angry at you. Um, racist. Other than what? that, what's racist? Indian giver. Is it? <laughs> yeah. If it is, no. If it is, I'm 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 compl- I'm so sorry. I didn't actually realize. I did not term. realize that. <laughs> now that now that you guys actually saying it. No, now that you guys are saying, I'm hearing it. I'm really sorry. I did not. I did not mean that. Okay, um, that you're cancelled. You're cancelled. Jesus, I, yeah, the yeah, the yeah, the woke crowd will cancel me. Jesus, oh, I'm so sorry. Genuinely, yeah, I'm actually really it? embarrassed. I'm I'm mortified. You had gollywogs growing up, and you didn't realize, hey. Now, do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? I hung out with the juggers, and all of a sudden, it's just it's all it's all just bleeding out of me. It's not my fault. <laughs> not my fault. Uh, anyway, back to sanity. Um, other than that, uh, been working on my mate's Kingdom Death stuff to try and finish that off because it's only been about two and a half years that I've been working on it. He's a sneaky. Come on. Oh, no, you should see what a pain in the... Yeah, what a pain in the ass those things are to put together. 
Um, I started a uh, War of the Roses army because uh, it, version two of Nevermind the Bill Hooks and uh, version two of Lion Rampant come out this month. I thought Sneaky was going to say, I started a cult. And I'd be like, that tracks. That yeah, sounds that, about that'd, right. That'd be about right. Yeah. That'd be about right. You know, I mean, what are the terms and conditions? I'm thinking about a membership, but all right. Heaven, Heaven's Gate. It's uh, coming. Oh. <laughs> they don't call it Scientology. They call it Sneakytology. It's um, yeah. a lot of death metal and vaping. It's, uh, it's not bad. Yeah. Not for everybody, yeah. but, you know, it's not bad. Yeah. All right. You've been playing some games? Oh, well, I played a game this afternoon, which is the, the first game I've played for a little while, actually. I've been... Uh, yeah, we missed you at Brad's event. I thought you were coming to that. Uh, I was I was absolutely going to come to that, but um, then I realized I'd gotten myself double booked, and uh, I, I was playing a gig that afternoon. Uh, I saw so that. I couldn't make it. Yeah. All right. Hari, what have you been up to? Um, not Aside from terrain, not a whole hell of a lot on the bolt action front. No, you're I'm currently sitting here scraping away at a plastic Humber 2. So oh, yeah. that's nice. More on that later. Um, yep. Aside from that, it's been a shit ton of D&D for me to retain my sanity through the retail nightmare of Mullumbimby. <laughs> Keep telling you, mate. Be a plumber. Move down south. You'd love it. Eh, I can shovel shit up here just as well. All right. Hari. What are you, uh, not Hari. Uh, Garrett, what have you been doing? Seriously, how do you confuse me and Garrett? Uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't want to say anything, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say something stupid and just incriminate myself further. Be like, oh, he is racist. And, you know, I play this one safe. I'm going to play this one very, very close to the chest. Um, I'll take it back later. Yeah, I know. I'm going to do something. <laughs> it's all right. We can hold a press conference. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> but for those of you playing at home, Garrett has just reappeared. So oh, there he is. Maybe you want to try that again. Garrett, what have you been doing? Um, I am in full lap production swing oh uh, you're off to amps thing aren't you yeah yeah so terelgan orcs Is Rob going to that? the free people no he's not um uh. but i got all my cousins all the clan is turning out so that'll be God. great so i'm making just, a cannon i'm if i'm just i'm just putting out there, if anybody is listening and anybody is part of that scene and you know you know that garrett and his cousins are coming up with a cat be afraid be very fucking and keep your money close. Travel in like large packs because Garrett won't go with a single fucking dollar and yet he'll come home with money. I guarantee you because he will yeah. just literally be like cutting people up. I know. You get swindled out of it or, you know, highway robbery with a cannon. Chopped. You know, either Chopped. way, it's going to be. <laughs> they'll, walk, they'll, walk the, they'll walk out of the tavern and he'll be there, the cannon pointed right at the door, stand and that's deliver. It. You're done. Put on the barrel. Yeah, ready yeah. to go. Seen that Love it. So, yeah, that's been fun. <laughs> and uh yeah prepping for the wedding has been my hobby as well oh yeah that, that old chestnut that old chestnut that old chestnut yeah it's gonna be good fun i'm looking forward to that be a good wedding yeah always love a wedding what about rubes have we done him yet rubes what are we up to um a bit of randomness um some ancient greeks some ancient germans some french and indian war colonial militia um, I've just started putting some paint on a couple of miniatures from the O200 range. Some of the characters. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. I Very nice. Plastics yet, but I've just, as we speak, I'm starting to put some flesh tones on uh, some of the character models. Yeah. Um, other than that, got my FDM printer up and running again. Uh, starting to churn out some stuff, which I think we'll talk about a bit later on. 
Yep. Um, I do need to probably either replace the motor for my resin printer or get a new one, which is what I'm angling towards. Um, yeah. Because yeah, sadly that I've had issues with. Uh, it, yeah, she don't she don't go burr no more. No. What are you, uh, what are the grates for, eh? Oh, sorry, was that sneaky? What What are you going to use the grates for? Um, at the moment I'm using them for Warlords SPQR. Um, but I've got them based so that I can also uh, rank them up for um Hail Caesar. Um, I could potentially do uh, Saga with them. Uh, yeah, I, well, that was what I was going to say because um, Age of Alexander has been announced. Yes, I did see that. Um, so, um, yeah, so they're all uh, um, individually based, so I can use them in different um, systems. I've also printed out a heap of uh, unit bases, so uh, movement trays, so I can just slot them in and um, form insta units. Um, and that's about it. Oh, some Marvel uh, Crisis Protocol. I painted up um, the Hulk and a couple others. Uh, I saw that. They look, yeah, some of the stuff you were pumping out was re looks really good. Yeah, it's um, it's more of a, a whim project. I, I've got about fifty or sixty of the different Marvel characters, and um, I'll just look at my shelf and just on a whim, I'll pick one and just go to town on it. So yeah, it's. I mean, that that sort of stuff is really, especially if you've had like a, a long stretch of just painting something like World War Two. You think, oh, I think I just want to do something different for a while. Um, yeah, and and that can be really, that can be really good. They're a larger scale as well. I think they're like one forty-second scale. Um, oh yeah. So you can put a little bit more detail into them. Um, uh, yeah, put a bit more character in them. I'm actually painting eyes on them. Um, I did nice. and uh, the Hulk, which I was really happy how eyes turned out because normally when I paint they they turn out like Steve Buscemi. Um, but <laughs> I actually got uh, got that Marty Feldman look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like sloth uh, in the goon. Yeah, but uh, I was quite happy with the eyes turning out for those. Yeah, that's about it, really. Uh, nice. Front, I have not played bolt action for a little while. Um, mucking around with a sharp practice game in the French and Indian War on my gaming table at the moment, but uh, yeah, that's about it. Lovely. All right. Uh, I painted up the remainder of my DAC, um, and that was I literally painted as little as I possibly could to get me to Brad's event and then also to get me to the Juggernauts event in the UK. So that was, um, I just sort of shaved it all right back to bare bones. Um, I finished painting that, I think, two or three days before I went. Um, and now I've gone into full terrain mode for CanCon, so I'm starting to knock out um, tables. I set the first one up today. Um, I'm finally sort of getting my head around that and what I need to do. I've been wheeling and dealing with russell the love muscle um and yeah basically i mean you know a lot of two heads exactly right let me ask you this harry the whole time i was in the uk yeah did did you miss the two phone calls daily or were you like were, were you like glad that i was gone for a while you got a bit of a rest um, mate, be honest be honest i won't be i won't be i won't be angry yeah you say that the universe has a funny way of working things because the second you flew off to the uk Mm -hmm. Shit went sideways and hit every fucking fan possible at work. So, yeah, I no, I didn't miss the phone calls. I didn't have time to take calls. <laughs> that hurts. That hurts a little bit, if I'm honest. I thought we were closer than that. Interesting. I missed the calls. It's numerous, numerous calls. Now Garrett missed the calls. Sneaky. Missed the calls. You're an evil, evil boy. 
Rubes, <laughs> the problem is when he gets on the blower to you, it means that there's about a five-minute time period where he immediately jumps on the blower to me with some crackpot list idea that I then have to try and bring back to the grounds of reality. Yep, you're 100% correct. Do you idea how exhausting that is? No, it's not exhausting. Do you have an idea how bizarre that is? I'm the voice of reason for the juggernaut, for the for the bacon burgers. Oh, it's a, that's a Freudian slip. <laughs> this is not the juggernaut Where podcast. Where did that come from? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Given those mad lads, yeah, you would be the voice of reason for them too, I'd say. All right. So, yeah, like I said, just at the moment, it's just it's it's all terrain now Uh, between now and CanCon. It's just going to be building, painting, dry brushing and just trying to sort out this fucking uh, it's just it's insurmountable. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. But um, what's your method for making terrain? Are you getting stuff resin printed? Are you making scratch building it? So. So the nice thing is um, I'm getting... Rubes is printing a bit of stuff for me. Um, we're going to... Like I'm, bunkers, I'm, houses? What do you got? What, Rubes? What do we got? We got uh, hedgerows. Yep. Uh, at the moment, we're, I'm printing the Braycourt Manor um, setup with the, um, the three yep. gun emplacements and the trenches. Um, there was a train yard. Hang on. I'll pull up the pictures you see. Yeah. It was... Um, that's a good idea, actually, because otherwise I'm not going to fucking remember. Uh, where are we? Um, a stack of rural sort of haystacks, Braycourt Manor, heap of uh, hedgerows, uh, some emplacements, um, train station, ruined sort yep. of train station set up. Um, that was sort of the, the primary ones we're gonna I'm going to work on getting done first. Yeah. Um, and I think there was uh, a few others, like a ruined ta- uh, French town and a few other odds and ends like that, too, that... Um, I'll, uh, if, if time works with me and my printers stay functional, um, I'll try to punch out some extras on top of it as well to uh, yep. to flesh that out. I think we had like a factory, uh, a small like a, um, small factory, ruined French village. Oh, there was so much stuff. It was just fucking nuts. Yeah. And where's this coming from? Um, various, well, mainly um, 3D print terrain. Um, online, uh, 3dprintterrain.de, I think. It's um, a gentleman in uh, Germany, uh, Jens, and I don't want to try pronouncing his surname because I'll butcher it. Um, <laughs> but um, he does some fantastic um, prints, uh, so STLs. Um, he is currently running a Kickstarter at the moment, a medieval setting Kickstarter. Um Highly recommend his work. He does do uh, everything in mainly in 20 mil scale, but it easily scales to 15 mil or, or 28 mil. Um, so I'll do up a probably, I think based on the f- on the stuff Tristan's kind of uh, wanting, I think I could probably it'll probably make two or maybe two or three tables worth if uh, if everything goes according to plan. Um, mm. If the printer keeps going brr the way it is at the moment. Uh, we can only hope, yeah. It's it's an insurmountable task, but yeah, we've got a lot to kind of get through. Um, and a lot do, of it just do comes need, down to... Do you need more terrain? Dude, we're, we're trying to do terrain for yeah, like 100 I've like, players. I've got like three tables. I can brilliant. Fucking, yeah. are, you coming to, are you coming to CanCon? Yeah, of course I'm coming to CanCon. Fuck yeah. Brilliant. That's what we want. Um, yeah. Buy it, but yeah, of course not. 100%. Um... Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's just like we are just we are absolutely wild for that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to make things work as much as possible. Um, and 
it's 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 just a huge task. Like I said, I've got maybe I think I've got four tables that I can do right now that are ready to go. I'm trying to build three or four more, and I've been talking to a lot of people, and a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork to say, you know, yeah, no worries, we can do it. But you know what? This is a great segue, so I'm just going to jump on board my little segue and take off into the Before distance. What are you doing? I just wanted a few more questions. So you're doing some bulk building. Yes. Where can you get bulk terrain building components from? Like, say you need rubble or you need bricks or like, where are you doing uh, that? Okay, yeah, that. Yeah, go on. Holy shit. Rubble. Um, Barney. Well, this works for rubble. It also works fantastically for rocks as well. Jump yep. online and find yourself either a tub of hydrocal or dentistone. It's a white powder. It does look sketchy as shit when it arrives because the box weighs a couple of tons. That'll de- simmer down, Rube, simmer down. You're going to need a tub of that and some aluminium foil. Layer about six sheets of the foil, then just scrunch it up, open it up, stretch it, stretch it out again, and then just mix it up and pour in. Once you get your rock mold, just smash it with a hammer. Instant rubble. It's perfect. The other one I'd, uh, I'd recommend as well is uh, if you're ever ordering something off, um, like, Knights of Dice or one of those guys, Word. a lot of them just do a big bag of bricks, MDF mm, bricks. Yep. Yeah, I've got... I've got yeah. I've got I've, I've got those from multiple companies, so I can actually run run different sizes. Uh, mixing them through texture paint is a great idea. But yeah. um, I've it's got so many. You, it's not something you'd order on its own, but if you're already already, no. already ordering something else, uh, yeah. I've got a heap of buildings from Knights of Dice, so I'm starting to kind of um, yeah drill down on those quite a bit, um, getting things sorted out. Uh, it's um it's one of those things where I'm just like yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it, I'm, I'm just pulling things from everywhere at this stage, but um, it's any it YouTube is a, you can recommend. You watch sorry tutorials at all. Uh, Mel the uh, Terrain Tutor on YouTube. That work is, is absolutely fantastic. He is good, but the only thing I would say to you about um, about that sort of stuff, um, I'm really lucky that I count Russell the Love Muscle as one of my mates. So if I want advice, I just go to Russ and say, "Hey, how would you do this?" And 20 minutes later, it's just like, okay, I'm, I have an idea of how you achieve that. So that works out quite well. Mm, um, yeah. So but keep in mind that when you ask a Tasmanian for advice, they do have extra limbs. Yeah. Um, true. So they are somewhat more dexterous than your average mainlander. Um, it's true. Don't be discouraged if you fail on your first attempt. Just keep <laughs> trying. You will eventually get there. The, the idea is is that I'm going to, uh, I think Garrett and Rob are going to come down to my place at some stage, probably in December, and we're going to run a, um, like, it's just a terrain day where we're going to paint up a lot of these Knights of Dice buildings and just get, like, just get bulk paint down. And that way, you know, just sort of, then, then you know, by the time they've gone, I've just literally just got to put bits and pieces on them and then, you know, it'll be all right. Um, but, yeah, I'm just, I'll, I mean, I've got... Actually, I'm pretty lucky that I've got. Um, I'll just show it to you guys. It's, I mean, the listener can't see this, but I've got like stuff like this. This is a Knights of Dice building that Viv had designed. It's only went to prototype stage, so this isn't actually available. But it's like one of his um, terrace houses is actually bombed out. Um, I've got two of those. I think maybe three. Um, but it was one of the things that made it to prototype stage. Viv just had them lying around. I did some work for Viv, and he's like, "Here, you can have these." I'm like, "Oh, brilliant." So well, I tell you what, when when I get the MDF printers set up, um, I've got the licenses for all of that stuff. Hang on, from, whoa, 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 whoa! Hang on, you're getting an MDF cutter? No, no, uh, no. The FDM 
Oh Jesus MDF. Christ! I, we've we've done no, this before. No, you keep teasing yeah. me. I'm like, what the hell are you going to do with an MDF no, it's cutter? Just that, uh, 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 joint dyslexia. Kicking <laughs> <laughs> it. Uh, no, I'd burn the house down if I had one. Yeah, of those. You fucking well would, man. They're, those things are dangerous. <laughs> Get off the port, sneaky. Um, so yeah, look, I think now is as good a time as any to announce it. Um, we are officially, uh, kicking off the, um, the CanCon terrain drive. Uh, if you guys out there have a table of terrain that you think is up to snuff, Hari and I would love, if you are coming to CanCon, that is, um, we would love for you to come and also bring that table. Um, and what we're going to be doing is in conjunction with Kaiju Beer, uh, on the over the course of the weekend, myself and Hari, and I think we've got Anthony up there who's going to be running admin. We will, between the three of us, judge best table, and whoever performs with best table on the day walks away with what did we say it was? It was a it was a case of beer. It was a slab of beer. I think um, we had some other we had some other goodies, some other things. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to say too much now, but rest assured, there'll be a really good prize pool for rest best assured. table. Rest assured. I heard breast, mate. Did I say breast assure? Yeah. Fuck it. I'll, I'll run with that breast assure. I love breasts. They're great. Um, so, yeah, we're going to... Um, yeah. uh, and as, a, as an aside, I will let you know right now that, yes, some of um, Akhtar's terrain will be in attendance. Akhtar will not be eligible to win. <laughs> because otherwise, what's the fucking point? I might as well just send Akhtar a case of beer. Which I don't know. We might okay. end up doing anyway. I'm going to jump in here and quickly say, yep. based on what I saw at Sudlicht, um, yep. the Devonish the... boys do a fantastic job with terrain. I've heard this. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. they're on the same continent, are they? Their tables are equal to anything the Berwicks put out. Yeah. Um, wow. That's a, that's a bold claim, my friend. Look, it's a bold claim, but quality talks. And See, I... I, I... I if felt those, the same way. Sorry, go. If, I mean, if either of those two enter a terrain competition on the mainland, I'm sorry, that prize is going back to Tasmania. Well, I got to be honest. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Like when I like early days, this is like you know, sort of V1 era. The two guys that I used to admire the most when it came to terrain, this was before the Berwicks got into it in a big way, were Joe Simone and Ben Ryan, both from Sydney. And those guys used to pump out boards that were just they were like diorama pieces. Simone, especially his shit was fucking. It was superb. Um, sadly, those guys have moved on to other systems, and we don't get to enjoy their work anymore. But you know, can't cry over spilt milk. So um, yeah, I know that. Was big into Star so what's your... Wars Legion. Doing Sorry, Gareth. What's your criteria for best? How are you going to measure best? That's a good one. Um, just quality of the build, um, overall layout. You know, have you have you. Uh, constructed your buildings by hand. You know, if 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 it's just somebody throwing down a mat, um, popping some trees on there and some foreground buildings. Don't get me wrong; we want to see those tables as well. I want you to bring that stuff. But you know, if if you want to take out the prize, and there'll be a trophy for this as well. Um, yeah, if you want to win the pro the prize for best table on the day, yeah, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to bring your A game. Um, Garrett's. Doing a table, I think if Sneaky's bringing up three, and um, I, know, I know that um, Rubes is bringing some. Um, there's every chance those guys will, you know, throw their hats into the ring. But I've also got there's all kinds of guys. Um, I think Adam Burke up in Sydney's going to bring down. He said maybe one or two. 
Uh, I was talking. Oh my god, Andrew Brownrigg's coming to fucking Cancun. I hey, big, big rig. Yeah, yeah, I've not seen big rig in ages, and I love that guy. I spoke to him the other day. Um, yeah, it's like I, anything you guys have got, we 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 would we would be like so happy if you guys could bring tables along and help us out because, like I said, it is nearly fifty tables that we're having to do, and holy crap, that's a lot. Like that's a mammoth <laughs> fucking ask. Sorry, would you consider narrative as a criteria as well? Someone who's put imagination theme into their into their work? Dude, um the, the table that's currently sitting behind me, um, I don't know if you guys have actually seen it yet, but um I finally finished you had building. So much fun with that. That's for you, Hari. That's fucking <laughs> that is for you. Um You guys can't see this, but I'll just move my camera around. This is I'm very sorry, dear listener. But um yeah. Yeah, so if you guys have a look at that, that is that is the Pegasus bridge board that has finally been built. There's a glider on there and some other stuff. I'll shoot you guys some photos of that later, but that is the first board that I'm specifically building for this event. Um and that is that is on the way. Uh it's I never want to build that model ever again. Uh and if anybody out there has got the four grand Pegasus Bridge Bureau um uh model, I wish you all the best of luck. And you should probably send a hate letter to whoever sent it to you. Um, Harry, if you get a package from me that's, that's shaped roughly like a dog turd in the next six months, probably don't open it. Just saying. Try doing the Sarissa one. It's, um, I don't mind yeah, the, true. And then you've got to... The, yeah. I had to sand tabs just to slot them in. Um, I've got to be honest. Like, so many people rave about Sarissa. I've never come across a Sarissa kit where I'm like, yeah, this is fucking great. Like, you know, Viv I've shit. Got, um, I've, I've got Cafe Gondry. Yeah. Hang on, sorry, Sneaky. What do you got? I've I've got the Cafe Gondre. Is that the one for the? the yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing you. I don't like I I have looked at how it all sort of goes together, and I don't think I can make it fit. I've had to do like another like a different kind of build, but we'll talk later if I can get that in. Um, I I I definitely pop that on. Mm. But at this stage, um, it's one of those things where, like I said, I'm building that. And then the next board I'm going to do is a FOI board. So a lot of the stuff that um, Rubes is printing for me now is going to be geared towards um, recreating FOI. So uh, for those listening, think big haystacks, a ruined town, dug in American fortifications. And, you know, it'll be a good fun board to play. Uh, and then after that... There is a chance, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping it comes out before then. So, Wow Buildings, based in the UK, who's another um, uh, bloke that does uh, STLs that I've, I've pretty much got his entire collection, is specifically working on FOI as we speak. Yeah, uh, fucked. To be released as a um, Kickstarter, so the actual village of FOI, um, like one-to-one type thing. Um, I'm oh, shit. really hoping it comes out before, uh, well before CanCon. Because um, yep. I will be getting that. I'm also tempted. He did um, the entire uh, final town in Kelly's Heroes, where the bank was. Oh, uh, and that's something that uh, <laughs> Tristan just went through six Some of the Kelly's Heroes stuff as well. I, I've got, I've got the whole, uh, the whole town. Yeah. Yeah. I just went from, I just went from six to fucking midnight, yeah. boys. That's um, <laughs> long been on my list of uh, files. I need to sort out and print at some yeah. point too. Yeah. Uh, mother loving bridge and rolling up. And oh <laughs> fuck yeah! I, I would love that. Such I would love that so much. Yeah, amazing. Um, so yeah, at this stage, um, that's kind of what we're that's that's kind of what we're doing. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be an absolutely wild uh, team, Mister Toad's wild ride. 
Um, but yeah, we're looking forward to sort of, you know, just providing uh, our players with the best experience ever. And in saying this, um, I want to be very, very clear in regards to what, because we dropped the pack a little while ago. I think that was just before I left. Mm. Um, I just want to neaten a few things up. Um, whether, whether it's been stated or not, CanCon has always been a competitive event. Can we all, can we all generally agree on that? And we've I all played so. it. We, it we, we've all, we, I mean, other than Rubes, we've all played at CanCon. And I'm telling you, like, the, the times that I've played, I've had really fucking, I've had great games, but they've been really tough. It's a competitive yeah. event. It yeah. is. It's not a brand. No, it's okay. not a V-Bell event. It's no. not, if, if it was a V-Bell event, it's like, no, not at all. But I mean, CanCon is like, that's the event that everyone goes to. So it's the big one. So yeah, you know what? We are running a competitive event, but that doesn't mean that you can't also have fun. And I'll lead into this a bit later. I've just come back from the UK. I, I competed at a juggernaut event, which is a competitive event. And I'll tell you what, it was great fucking fun. Most people just there rolling dice, taking the piss, laughing. It was great. But yeah, just because we're saying that this is going to be a competitive event, this doesn't mean that every whacker with a, you know, a triple Stuart, a triple Dacker Stuart list is going to come out of the fucking woodwork. They still have to get the list past the listing committee. And yes, we do have a listing committee, despite the fact that we're saying that this is a competitive event. You still need to respect the meta. So for mm. those people out there saying, oh, well, fucking, it's just going to be a whacker event and fuck those guys. How about you just come along, see what it's like? And I guarantee you'll have fun. You'll go home with a heap of swag. And just remember that if you're not in there, if you're not in there to win, by the time you hit game two or game three, you're going to be playing like-minded people. The people who are going to do well and they're going to excel, they're going to end up at the pointy end of the competition. If you're just there to roll dice and have fun, you will end up playing like-minded people by game three. Like, yeah, absolutely. This is a true yeah. Swiss event. Um, we're not trying anything unique or wacky with the draw. It's Personally, I go to events more just to have fun and see faces and... yeah have traumatic experiences visited only by rubes um but you get what you deserve mate hey what did i do to deserve that you know you, de- well, you know what you did <laughs> yeah it's sitting behind <laughs> you look Murder end Jeeps. of the day like tristan says if you're coming along just to catch up with people you haven't seen for a year or two and roll dice then you're gonna be against people who are of the same mind now yep. If you want to play for the bragging rights and you want to push to the upper echelons of the competition, chances are you'll succeed in doing that. You may not win, but you're certainly not going to rob yourself of a chance. In saying that, and this has always been a longstanding commitment of our community and one of the reasons it is one of the premier gaming communities in Australia, we're not dicks. At no point is there anything that says, hey, you know what? Fuck it. Gloves off. I'm here to ruin people's days. No. It doesn't work We that will way. be watching. Like, this is not a go for your life and go for the throat event. That's, I mean, Hari is, yeah, that's 100% correct. So you're saying I shouldn't print three Werber wins and uh, two King Tigers? You, you can do that, Rubes, but you won't get it past the listing committee because how are you going to take five armoured vehicles when not allowing armour platoons? So you're going to suck a dick. <laughs> I thought you were going to go in a different direction then, but, um, it, I mean, seriously, like, bring whatever you want. Like, it's, like, at the end of the day, we'll have a look at it, and we've got a listing committee that comes. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be open. Our listing committee is, is I mean, uh, two of them belong to the juggernauts, and those guys know how to list. And they're also very, very good at catching, um, 
you know, just those weird combinations where you like, you know, on paper, like, ah, it's not too bad. Then all of a sudden you're like, hang on a minute. I see the way this all interacts. We've also got, you know, like FAQs to take into consideration, but I would just encourage people just, you know, please have an open mind and just come along and play. We want people to come along. Like we're not doing this to, you know, to, to fuck about. We're doing this to give you guys the best possible experience that you've had. We've got the backing of some of the, you know, like we've got Pete West is backing us up. I mean, for God's sake, I mean, do I need to say anything else? I mean, he's like, he's like the gold standard. Um, you know, we're only, and in regards to the rules changes that we've made, like these rules changes, we don't feel they're game breaking. Um, you know, I mean, like we, we, we've, we've copped a bit of shade from, you know, various positions, you know, people like, you know, crapping on about things like, um, universal carrier spam. Um, I, I don't get what, I, for one thing, I just don't understand the whole thing about universal carriers. People seem to have a boner for them. I just don't think they're any good. But again, people have to get that shit past the list. You know, those people out there saying, oh, well, you're just going to take five universal carriers or double LMGs and like, you know, five squads of pioneers. We won't let you take that. Mm. Like, good luck. I mean, Sorry, Garrett. I know your list thing... is gone now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> The other thing I would jump in and say here is before anyone takes aim at the list, at the rules changes we made, we sat down and we went back and forth over this for months on end. It was an exhaustive process. It was mm. a four phone call a day situation. We still have those. Finally, mm. we settled on the five that we wanted. We then yeah. threw that to War and Peace. War and Peace then threw that to Warlord. Yep. Warlord signed off on them. Yep. So and I will hang on, and I'll, I'll go you one higher than that. When I was in the UK, I had a tour of Warlord HQ, and I met with Marcus, their community engagement manager. He's cool with everything we're doing. He's a mm. fucking good bloke as well. I stand behind that guy. He, Marcus, if you're listening, the vibe you give off, sir, is like Patrick Swayze in the original Point Break. You just, you're a guy that I just want to ride or die with. I fucking love it. The guy is an absolute king. And we thought we were the only ones. Oh, I, We've been locked yeah, the only thing that annoys me is I like I just I I, I, I want him to come to CanCon. Um, I'm hoping that there's going to be a few people coming out of the woodwork to come to CanCon, which would be amazing. But it's going to be a fun event. I'm I'm yeah. So leading into CanCon, Harry, let me ask you this: You're yeah. not playing. You're not playing CanCon. No. Now, hell, Harry, the, you didn't play CanCon neither. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> He got hit got a, in, the, in the plane before the jump. <laughs> <laughs> he got a bayonet in the plane before he could jump. God damn so, it. So basically, the question I got for you is, like, Hari, if you were going to go to CanCon, what would you run? I mean, if I'm going to CanCon, I would want something that I know list-wise, something that I know intimately that, is a list that I run on a regular basis. So for me, I'm running that would be German straight off the bat. Right. It's a twelve fifty list. Um let's see. No, I'd go a tiger actually. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to if I'm going to an event, I'm going to have fun. I don't Good. really give a shit about my podium standing. That means nothing to me. You and I list um, very differently. Yeah. Well look there's... But I respect that. I respect that. That's great. The, I mean, the fact that you and I both list differently, and yet we can still be friends hmm. and have shit in common. I mean, and game I've together got is great. two lists sat here, and one of them 
is my standard German list. The other one is definitely not my standard playing style, I can tell you that much. Alright. So, Go, what, what would you say? Okay, so it's a regular second LT with a mate shield. Yep. I've got two squads of... Yeah, okay, one squad of eight regs with two LMGs. Ah, Keep it's broken. It's broken. Sorry, yeah, man. No, Knocking it's, back. Knocking it's so back. Busted. No, busted. Okay, it gets worse. Now, keep in mind, I'm listing this with a standard 1250 event in mind. I'm not taking yeah. down our rules changes. Somehow we... he's managed to take three Dakar Stewarts and a murder wagon in a fucking German <laughs> list. <laughs> We've then got seven veterans with three SMGs, two pounds yep. of power. We've got a veteran chaplain. Mm -hmm. um, we've got another eight veterans with one submachine gun, two assault rifles, and two Panzer Faust. Yeah. We've got a German LMG team. Yeah. Again, this is just a standard reinforced platoon. So this is the 35-point option from the Battle of France. Yeah. A regular heavy mortar with a spotter. Nice. Regular sniper team. Yep. Veteran flamethrower team. Yep. Veteran Nebelwerfer. <laughs> regular motorcycle. Yep. Yeah, it's a good a option. Regular tiger. Yep. And a reg Kubelwagen and a reg truck with a pencil MMG. There's nothing in there that is an oddity in lists that I run. All right. Okay. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say, there's nothing in there that's too on the nose. It'd be like heavy mortar and a Nebelwerfer. That's pretty nice. That's <laughs> no, the entirety. This list hinges on the tiger. Like, plain and yeah. simple. This is yep. Heavy Tank Tactics 101. Yep. You push with the Tiger, support with the two veteran squads, and pivot where necessary. HE spam at the back, and there you go. That's nice. all it is. But the, the other list, the one that is a little off the beaten track for me, because it's not something that I would typically run, yep. but I am probably going to build this at some point because I like the sound of it. Sure. So, we've gone allied this time. Armies of the United States. US, that's different for you. Yeah, We're jumping in, into the Pacific. Yep. So we have Marines. an inexperienced second LT. This is a double platoon list. Yep. So the first platoon has two squads of eight regs, yep. two bars in each squad. Yep. A regular medium mortar with a spotter. Yep. And a veteran 105. Of course. Yep. Naturally. It's a solid option. Yep. Second platoon. Reg first LT with a meat shield. Yep. Then we've got two squads of veteran marines. Yep. Eight men per squad, three SMGs, two bars in each. Yep. Reg medium mortar with a spotter again. Yeah. Reg sniper team. Yep. Reg, uh, reg bazooka team. A yep. veteran war dog team because, as everyone knows, I love my dogs yep. and they're a tidy little bonus. Yeah, sneaky will try and set fire to them. Yeah, oh, yeah. just keep everything. <laughs> if it's livestock or dogs, just keep it away from sneaky. They need anything on four legs. He's fucking. Yeah. He's, he's he's an animal. It's shocking. Yeah. Again, with the reinforced platoons, just basic no theater selector. I'm able to take the reconnaissance jeep from D Day Overlord. Yeah. So it's a recce jeep. You know, yeah. it is. It does what it says on the tin. Yep. Now this is something out of the Mariana and Palau book. Mm -hmm. The USMC International M-2-4 rocket truck 4x4. It's an American Katusha. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Armored? 80 points. No, it's soft skin. 80 points. Can move and shoot. It's beautiful. 
It's a then, it's a liability taking that to the CanCon given the uh, given the cha- the changes we've made. It is, but you know, you win some, you lose some. Then the list is rounded out by two uh, Dodge three quarters with Pentel MMGs. Yep. Yeah, perfect. Yep, right. That was the only thing. That was, yep, that was going to be my only criticism of that list is like it lacks mobility, but that sounds good. Yeah, what uh, was the battle plan with that? Hang on, Tris. Go on. Hey. What's the battle plan with that? Like, you've got a VET 105 for some reason, a bunch of, what, like, little DAC What do you mean for some reason? It's one of the best tanks in the game. Yeah, oh, veteran not Sherman the No, no, not the oh, no. no. That's a, that's okay. a gyro-stabilized medium howitzer tank. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. The battle plan with that is basically the static units are what, What's your... the battle plan? Winning. Winning yeah, is the battle pretty plan. Much. Yeah. I mean, the American rules for some reason, get overlooked. I think they're honestly one of the strongest out there. The fact that you can ignore an entire modifier for shooting, that's yeah. ridiculous. That is no, insane. And you do right. it at no point cost either. No. Like, yep. that's The inexperienced get it as well? Pardon? Pretty sure inexperienced troops get it too, unlike the British. Yeah, they do. Yep. Um, as far as that goes, the mortars sit on the baseline and plug away. The sniper provides Overwatch to protect them. The lieutenant pops them when needed, and everything else just moves. Push up the board, eliminate threats as needed. Nice. And the 105 just rolls around honking pie plates into whatever it sniffs at. Yeah. Nice. You can't really go wrong with that plan. Nah, it's fucking good. Mm. So I flipped the coin over. Tristan, what would you take? All right, so mine's a 14 dice. It, yeah. It's a 14 dice list uh, for 1249. It is the 1942 DAC Light Africa Division. I think everyone knows where this is going. Um, Reg 2nd LT. Uh, what have we got? Seven man Schutzen squad with a free light machine gun. Six man Schutzen squad. For it. No, well, it's, it's legal in this list. That's the rub, man. If you, yeah, it's like if you take this selector, this is all legal. So six man Schutzen squad. Uh, and then an eight-man Pioneer squad with SMGs and a flamethrower, medium mortar, the SDKFZ 6-3 Diana, uh, regular for 185 points. This is open-topped, armor 7, but with a plus 6 gun, so it's a forward-facing heavy anti-tank gun. Also has a crew-fired MMG. Um, now, it has some special rules. Uh, the tank hunter vehicle and German optics. Tank hunter vehicle allows this vehicle to advance into ambush, and German optics means that it does not suffer the neg one for hitting at long range. So, um, a very, very good vehicle. Then got a truck with an MMG from the second platoon, uh, reg second lieutenant. Uh, two seven man Schutzen squads, another squad of pioneers, another medium mortar, another Diana, and another truck. So, it's basically a mirror squad. And the idea with this would be let the mortars sit on the back line and just, um, you know, pepper their, uh, you know, the stuff that just is meant to stay still. Uh, the Dianas come up and create board domination because you don't... Vote. The whole thing about having a tank is like when you're playing an opponent, term, turn one, you don't want to bring your tank on early. And you always know when you're playing a very new player because they'll bring their tank on way too early and then you get to react mm. to that. You, you either think, right, I don't want my tank anywhere near that because I can't kill it or you're there, I'm fucking coming for you. These things negate that because you can advance into ambush. You can, you know, put them up next to each other and advance into ambush. You're not hitting, uh, you know, that that neg one at, you know, long range. You're sort of hoping uh, that potentially 
you might end up in a situation where you can catch their vehicle and maybe hit them on a three or a four. Mm. Like it's I pretty mean, fucking sweet. Looking at the the gun on the on the Diana, it's a heavy. Yep. Looking, if I'm taking my German list against that, I'm looking at that and I'm doing the odds and I'm thinking that's a better than average chance that one of them is going to go through the front yep. on like a hot knife through butter. Sorry, yep. I'm staying away from that. Yeah, hundred percent. So it allows you to it allows you to kind of um, set up board domination quite early. Um, yes, they are open top. They are um, armor seven, but given they don't, you know, they don't they don't catch that neg one for hitting at long range. You're going to be penetrating with fives at most, you know, unless they sort of get close to you. It's a fucking good option. Mm. The Schutzen just stay back. They provide long range support, and then the two. Um, the two uh, squads of pioneers go up in the trucks. MMGs rake around. The guys get out. It's it's party time. Um, that selector doesn't really give you a lot in regards to support options. You can't take snipers. Uh, you can't take man pack flamethrowers. You can't take any of that shit. Um, but what it uh, what it lacks in support, it makes up for. Um, if I could squeeze them in, I might take a triple two or two. But um, yeah, you kind of the Dianas suck up a lot of points. They're nearly two hundred points each. So therefore, like I'm, you know, I'm anybody who knows me knows that I don't like spending any more than about 100 points on a vehicle, maybe 150 to squeeze. So at nearly 200 points, 185 each, like I'm actually sinking a fair old chunk of change into these things. So but you do that's, have amazing rules. So I think that's they got they got no, they got great rules. This is, I mean, I've been trying to find a reason to take one of these, and if I cross a 1250 event at some stage in the near future, um, these will be coming out. The other, I did actually consider for a little while changing one of the Dianas out for a Lorraine Schlepper, which I can take, which is the Marta one with a heavy howitzer. Um, but yeah, the uh, just the rules surrounding the Diana and the fact they're so fucking cool. You know, it's just this boxy looking piece of crap. They just sort of, you know, put some metal work up and I think it's an old captured uh, Russian gun that they put in there. It's yeah, just, yeah, it just seven, looks... Uh, 76.2 or something. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty fucking awesome. But um, yeah. So sneaky. What are you? Where 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 are you? Where are you thinking at the moment with your with your listing for CanCon? Well, I, I'm really up in the air, mate. At the at the moment, um, I may fall back on the uh, American Paris. Actually, oh nice, the, tried and true. I, that's 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 the pointy end list. The the one when I'm not fucking around. Um, you know, uh, I may just try and get a uh, 105. Sherman in there, veteran one hundred and five. Yeah. Any other toys? Let's see if I can think. Yeah. Uh, look, I, it's it's such early days. Yeah, I, I haven't really thought about it. I, I had considered uh, whether I would take something completely new and and bring the bring the British, but uh, in all honesty, I don't think I'll have enough time to to test it all before then. And uh, part of my feeling after having taken that list uh to a multi-day event it's it's easier on day two because it's not such a tax on the brain you know um, yeah 100 no you it's one thing to get your army painted but i think you need a good couple of months or at least 10 games to work out the quirks of your list and where it excels where it, it's got its deficits and it's so important to run it through and tweak it and change it and remove redundancies, et cetera. Mm. Yeah. 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 I'm with you on that one. I mean, I had that experience at CanCon 2020, that finish list I took. I learned bolt action playing fins. I know fins inside out, but the fact that I hadn't played a game in six months before going into CanCon, 
Yeah, I got mutilated on day yep. one. Like oh, that, that, JL's that grinning. Is... JL has a grin of reminiscence on his face <laughs> as he remembers honking ISU one five two rounds into me. Like <laughs> it was, it was painful. It was brutal. By the second day, I was having a bit of fun, but the first day, you know, practice with your lists. You know, any chance you get, even if you play a five hundred point game and drag out 500 points from your list. Just play it. The more you learn it, the easier it is on the day. Yeah, definitely. Well, that, that would almost be my second choice, is the, the Porto Russians. Um, yeah. Because there's just too many to kill. <laughs> it's just... Oh, yeah. I think that you, you, did, you did quite well with Russians last time you went to CanCon, didn't you, Sneaky? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. you did really well. I think you just you just sank too many points into that vehicle, didn't you? Take like a ISU one five two one fifty two, yeah. But now I've got the uh, the 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 little brother version of that, uh, <laughs> which is a bit cheaper. Um, the one two two, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's the the kind of scaled down one that's got the seventy six mil howitzer on it. I always I. I always liked the I always liked the SU seventy six because it's got that dual purpose gun. I mean, it is an Armour seven open top, but you you don't pay the you don't pay that much for it. It's got that no. good utility. It's not a bad thing to use. Also, an OT no, thirty four never goes astray. Just fucking flame the shit out of everything. Uh, OT thirty four I don't know. Are you you're paying too much for what you're getting with those? I think there's more. I mean, considering how dedicated tank comes up, if you want. Yeah. What's that? Considering how close you have to get with an OT-34 to actually get the full utility, yeah. at an event where probably 55 to 60% of the lists are running around with Panzerfausts, mm. yeah, it's, it's not a good return on investment. No, absolutely not. And it's one of those things, isn't it? You just sort of, you have to weigh it up. I mean, those Russian lists, they work as soon as you put, like, you know, bulk men down but i mean the change that uh warlord made recently against uh to shirkers sort of made them a little bit less effective mm. um but you know sort of little pins and shirkers are fucking gone now uh you know that's it fucking ka you know kaput but um mm. no sneaky i think if you put together a good strong russian list you'd do quite well yeah and and that's that's another thing because um i can tinker tinker around the edges of mm. that because the bulk of it is all painted i've got nearly everything that you could want yeah um, nice. it's just yeah, you know, an extra unit here or there to to bulk it out so uh i may do that nice garrett what are you thinking well taking into account the changes you've made for the rules there's a great little list from the d-day u.s sector book it's called the lions of Carantan, and this is on uh the six volsham jaeger doing their fighting withdrawal what sets this list apart is they have a lot of medium machine guns right. and they get buffed in that they get the initiative training rule from the armies of germany book so if you can't get one shot with snipers essentially so instead of uh it getting one shotted you get that unit back which is really nice that is nice and you can take up to i think like 12 medium machine gun teams what? over over two platoons 
You're, there's no way you're taking 12 medium machine guns. You won't paint well, that many fucking machine guns. <laughs> I know you. The catch uh, is you gotta, you got to yeah, take a Volkswagen squad yeah. per medium machine gun team. Um, so you'd take your five-man Volkswagen and then yep. you could take your medium machine gun with it. You've got to take a vet, which is pretty pricey too, but Excellent. with the rules yeah. changes, you get, what, maybe most often two pins per machine gun team that you're outputting and... per turn. The other thing there is all infantry and artillery units in that platoon, with the exception of the Ostruppen, must also be upgraded to Stubborn for plus one point per model. Ooh. Yeah, so, it, so it's, again, it's it getting really expensive really quick. But yeah, those, you do those, get specialized, those specialized bubbles, which gives you uh, like hidden setup uh, mm. for 10 points. And you can like set up with your snipers and observers uh, and they can start in ambush as well. So that's kind of tasty. <laughs> Fucking good, actually. Yeah. You've had a good think about that one. I don't mind. Have you got the models for it? Uh, yeah, well, you could just take, because your MG42 is your light and medium machine gun. Yeah. Um, you yeah. can just take those and put three guys together and boom, there's your MMG team, right? Sure, sure. Mm. I mean, looking at the selector, the other tasty thing for that Hedro ambush is any MMG gun, Panzer Trek team, or anti-tank gun can be upgraded. So you could stick a pack 40 in a hedge, have it on ambush, ready to go, covering a road. Only downfall is you have to take it vet, so it's 110 points plus the 10 yeah. points for hedge road, plus the extra three for the stubborn. Oof. It's a pricey <laughs> mana. And that's your only real long-range AT in the entire yeah. I mean, yeah, looking at that, I'd probably, I'd skip the pack 40 altogether and just go for the Panzerfrack team. Well, I'd go Fausts, honestly, because yeah. oh, you yeah. take Vet too, which is pricey as well. Yeah, that's that is, that's getting up towards 100 points, isn't it, for a veteran Panzerfrack? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's something around it's there. Up there. It's up there. Yeah, just Panzer. How many Panzerfrack can you take in each squad? Four per squad. Four? Oh, yes. Done. <laughs> End laws for everybody. <laughs> yeah. You call it the Ukrainian Special Forces. That's a good team for that. I was watching the No, I won't. I won't do that. Never mind. Never yeah, mind. well done. Good man. See, no rabbit holes in this yeah. fucking episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So you're, you're, you've steered away from the French. Well, no, that was option one. I don't know if we're doing multiples. I don't know if you want to hear me ramble about French, but... Well, I just I, I know that you were keen on it, and the paint job that you were doing was actually really good. It's the, the best paint job I've seen you ever produce, which is yeah, which is good because you, generally your focus has always been put them together, <laughs> slap a bit of paint on them, and get them on the table. I'd rather I'd rather play than paint. Well, I, I respect that; that's fine. But um, cool. the French, you really did a number on. I was very very happy to see that. So, well, I'm going to keep my cards to my chest on that. Then I'll probably okay. take the French. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. Rubes. Um, something, something hyper, uh, historically themed, crazy list. Um, I've still got to confirm. Running true to form, then. Yeah. Um, I've still got to confirm that I can get to CanCon. Um, I yeah. I know in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Um, I've had a couple of ideas. I think those bribes are right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about running a Polish list with Outlancers. 
um, but with some tech Oh, come on. Stuff. Boring. Yeah, yawn. Okay, yeah, Rubes, tell me now. Is it a double yet. platoon Polish list with two TKS tank outs? No, I was thinking taking um, one of the twin turret Vickers in one. You're dead to me. And then a, <laughs> um, a, a 7TP in the other one. No, you're dead to me. <laughs> um, it's either that or I'm looking at maybe um, two tankettes, one with the machine gun, one with the automatic uh, 20mm. Um, so that's been one of my thoughts because um, I've got some painted up. I've tossed around a French idea, um, running a French army. Um, I've got nearly a company's worth of French painted up, so... Um, I've got plenty to choose from there, um, and then I've got my DAC to fall back on if... Um, Take if your DAC. Come on, man. That's, that's Whip the, your DAC out. That's kind of my go-to. Um, it's probably out of the, the three sort of main armies I've got painted up um, to platoon or bigger standard. They're my favourite paint job, I think, because I put a bit of effort into them going to... I like your DAC, people. yeah. Um, so the grilled cheese. They, yeah, they still need a bit of work, but... Um... Hey, that triple two is beautiful. Mm. <laughs> oh, the one that, um, that got, that's all dinted and scratched and, um, you know... <laughs> Harry says that because I bought you it off model. a bit of cane painted. No, it is a nice little model. <laughs> um, again, if with my DAC, it'd be um, nothing enclosed, um, uh, open-topped all the way. Um yeah, I've Diana, triple two. Yeah. I like it. I like I've what you a, think. I've got a Diana printed out. Um, that was a bit of a miscast. I've got one here. Take take, Mate, I've got one here. Take two. <laughs> Maybe that's always an option. Um, I still Do like my... Send um, it. Tristan, you're not allowed to play son. vicariously through the players. <laughs> <laughs> I still like my um, open-topped assault 150 mil howitzer <laughs> so maybe i might be able to slip a, a diner and one of them oh into yeah a list um i just everything go boom oh savage so they're, they're my three options at the moment i've just been toying around of what i've got painted rather than what i'm gonna have to paint um mm -hmm. i uh, bounce between projects uh quicker than hari does yeah, that's I mean, for that's, you, Ruth. Yeah, that's, that's not saying much. That's not saying much. You, you know it's true, Harry. You know it's true. Hey, yeah. I'm lucky these days if I can get out of the Mediterranean. <laughs> Is that what you call your girlfriend? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so. I mean, like you know, you know what, you know what, you can take that on the chin for sending me that fucking foreground kit. Cop that. <laughs> you actually That's what you get. I was, I was going to make a joke about me being half wog and being, you know, half oh. Mediterranean, but uh, <laughs> you kind of uh, went uh, all in with that. Oh, one. yeah. No, no, no. I went nuclear on that one. Right again. Yep. Right. We're all cancelled. That's it. Pack it up. <laughs> <laughs> I that's, that's the episode name. Bacon burgers get cancelled. Hey, you are um, cancelled. I've got to get out of jail free card. No, there you go. Um... So yeah, look, it looks like it sounds like everybody's kind of roughly on the same sort of page. Um, I, I think we've received a couple of lists at this stage, and everyone seems to be you know kind of uh, going roughly similar. Funnily enough, I've yet to see a, a universal carrier spam list. Um, I imagine when I do, I might have a conversation with somebody. But um, 
yeah, I'm just I'm I'm interested to see what people have uh, have got coming in. Um, it's I'm I'm just I'm I'm I know it's early days, uh, but I think that the pain of the bum is that for me personally, as soon as a, an event is um, announced, um, like Brad Lee. Uh, the guys from the Juggernauts, any of you guys who have run events, you know that you normally have my list within about twenty minutes of that fucking you know that event opening. I know what I'm I know what I'm taking to that event. Um, the the shock thing is that I spoke to Lee uh, for uh, we got Operation Bear running in a couple of weeks. Um, I spoke to Lee. I put a list in. Uh, Lee knocked it back. I resubmitted, got it through, and then I actually got home from the UK because I was submitting it in the UK. And then I was like, hang on a minute. It means I've got to paint up all this other shit. No, fuck that. I'm not doing that. I can't. I, I've got no time. So I submitted a British list that had a Churchill thinking, brilliant, I'll do that. I haven't taken an armor 10 tank in forever. Got home. Uh, I don't actually own a Churchill. That's good. Uh, so then I did an another British list with a Firefly. No, not a Firefly, just a uh, Sherman 2. And then it was like, no, I really want to run DAC. So I basically just took my DAC list um, and added a Armada. And that's it. Um, hopefully, hopefully, um, Lee lets me take that, and that's the last. Hopefully, it's the last annoying thing that I've got to send his way. But um, yeah, we've we're sort of spoiled for events. At the moment. I'm spoiled for events. I went to one in the UK. We'll we'll touch on the whole UK trip in a little bit because that that was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, we've got uh, Operation Bear running in a couple of weeks. Um, I think Sneaky, you going to that? Yeah, I am. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, I, I was even are... using uh, Operation Bear uh, objective markers this afternoon. What's this? What? The, uh... Yeah, the little objective marker. Tokens. Oh, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. You are. Um, I know that uh, Garrett. It's too close to your wedding. You're not going to a two-day event. Yeah, no, I'm out for that one. Yeah, uh, two days. What are you taking? What are you taking, Sneaky? To uh to bear uh well again i haven't really given it enough thought to uh, <laughs> i probably won't bring the um the eighth army because i'm just not comfortable enough with all the nuances of that yet um so yeah. some, something that i know a bit better probably the the russians or one of my maybe the winter germans or something yeah that'd be all right, right. That'd be cool. fun. that's a big Dude. event isn't it they've got quite a few numbers coming yeah yeah, two-day event. It's uh, 1,052 points is the limit. Or 54. I can't remember. Um, yeah, there's it sold out, I think, pretty quickly. Uh, drop into bolt action. We'll talk about that in a bit because Garrett and I went to that. That sold out very, very quickly. That was actually a, a really fun event. Has um, Bear sold out already? I have a feeling it might, but I'm not entirely certain. No, I'll get on the waiting list for it, then someone will drop out inevitably. You didn't hang on your board, didn't, you didn't buy a ticket? No, I, I just don't have you know, spare money sitting around to uh, jump on yeah. straight away. No, that's fair enough. These days. Hit me up next time, man. I'll buy you a ticket. I guess yeah. pay me back on the day. Um, yeah, look, at this stage, uh, I actually, I've gone for a, an ahistoric list. Um, I'm trying to do the historic thing quite frequently, but at the end of the day, I just needed to soak up points because I didn't want to paint any more models. So regular second LT. Um, I took late war Fortune Jaeger, which I know is a, a, a no-no and a DAC list, but um, it's reinforced platoon, so I can take whatever the fuck I want. That was just six guys, 
with three subbies, three rifles, and I've taken two Panzerfausts. So again, a, a historical no-no, but points. Uh, got, yeah, two of those. Uh, veterans. I've got a squad of veteran engineers, uh, just with the normal uh, four rifles. Uh, no, I tell a lie. Yeah. Uh, here, veteran grenadier squad. So I've actually taken, like, here, veterans. Everything's veteran. Uh, all of my infantry is veteran, just to soak up points. Yeah, just uh, six guys with a light machine gun, NCO with a submachine gun. So I've got two of those. Um, squad of veteran pioneers, five blokes, just submachine guns, a rifle and a flamethrower. Uh, reg medium mortar, reg sniper, reg ATR, a triple two, a Marta 1 Lorraine schlepper. So that's the Armour 7 open topped, but it's got the forward-facing heavy howitzer and two trucks with medium machine guns. And that is, uh, what do we got? Fucking 13 dice for 1,050 points. So I'm expecting to do okay with that. I mean, veterans are always, you know, a solid choice. But, yeah, if I'd been able to sort of, you know, take the list that I wanted to take, then, yeah, I would have maybe tried to take, you know, that light Africa division and take a, you know, Schutzen and a Diana and this, that and the other, but I just haven't got the time. I've, I've got to paint terrain. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so Garrett and I went to drop in a bolt action, which was um, an event run by uh, Brad from Cast Dice. Um, how many points was that? That was not many, was it? Like, 9-11. That was 9-11, that's correct. Um, that was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, Garrett, what did you take to that? So the event was a three game that you were adamant thought it was a four game, and I, I was, thought it was. By, I was cooked by the second game, so I'm, I'm glad it wasn't. Oh, yeah, um, that was just down not at House of War, but at a place just down the road from there mm. called something, and um, that was a French list. Um, I got knocked back a couple times. So I just took a very vanilla-y, like, 10-men vet squads with rifles, 10-men reg squads with rifles, uh, light howitzer. Like, it was, there was nothing to even comment on. It was just a super chill, I've never gone that easy in listing before. But, yeah. Um, what'd you take, Tris? You had some, some tasty stuff. Uh, it basically, the list that I just read out for you for Bear, it was that. Yeah. Just, um, I, instead of taking a triple two, I took a just a Marta three. It was two squads of vet. It was exactly what I took to the UK, but I swapped the vehicles out. Essentially, instead yeah. of taking a... I, I, the Juggers event was an 800-point event, so I took a triple two instead of a Marta. So it was like one of those things where I'm like, all right, I, I need to keep things as close, you know, cut it as close to the bone as possible, um, just so yeah. I don't have to paint more shit. But yeah, it was just two squads of early war FJ, a squad of pioneers, two squads of um, regular here infantry with light machine guns, mortar, sniper, ATR, um, the Marta, and two trucks and an LT. So yeah. um, a little bit of teeth, but nothing too scary. I didn't think it was. I, I, the funny thing is that it was like, the the list that I ended up taking to the UK was like I said, it was a terror. A, a, um, derivation of that list and it was um yeah 800 points i just traded out the martyr for the triple two and yeah it was a very fucking vanilla list um i didn't think it was too nasty at all no Panzerfausts. um there was the one flamethrower uh it was it was just a just a fuck about list basically uh it was you know the it was just a very like everything was like six man squads they were fucking tiny um nothing had any sort of real staying power 
Um, you know, even like stubborn Falschmjäger, there's you know they, there's only six of them. You know, you take a mortar hit, and that's it. They're kind of gone. Um, but yeah, Garrett, um, who did you end up playing first up? Uh, first up, I played Albert again, and he's kind of turning into a bit of a nemesis. Um, I played him in the previous events as well. And, uh, yeah, we seem to always be playing each other. He brought Italians this time, and I don't know the, like, army list, but it was a lot of units I hadn't seen before since playing Italians in version one. And they were all sort of, and I don't know if any of you guys are, like, Italian aficionados, but, like, motorcycle, motorized troops. And they all ignored negatives from coming on outflank, and they were buffing the vehicles and getting the same benefit as well. Do any of you guys know those troops or the, that list? Um, that off the top of my head, it sounds like it's something from either Western Desert or yeah, it uh, it'd, it'd be Western Desert because I didn't play Italians during that time. Um, but they were like spicy, like spicy meatballs. You know, these were guys on motorcycles with pistols, uh, big, like, eight- or ten-man squads, and they just come in off outflank. Um, but he had the M1441 as well, the, the Dakar Italian uh, Stuart. Yeah, the, the, Italian, the Italian Dakar tank, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had the auto blinder, but just the single auto cannon on it, not the, like, the machine gun backup with that. Um, and... Yeah, a lot of vets, like a lot of vet infantry. So it was very mobile, very outflanky, very punchy. Play Bulgarians. You would have beaten them. I've never played Bulgarians before, actually. I played Bulgarians once to tell you, like, it rustles your jimmies. I was looking at them as a possible, like, could this be my next army? And then I looked at the opt like the infantry choices. I'm like, it's just so boring. Yeah, it's boring, but it makes fierce yeah. slayers gnash their teeth. Oh, my God, yeah. You can't outflank and you can't uh, forward deploy. Oof. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. It's like, no, okay. you want to afford? No. You want to have like, no. Can't do any of that? No. All of a sudden, you're fucking, yeah. yeah. Exactly right. All of a sudden, you're fucking, uh, uh, was it your cacapadios are like foot slogging across the board, and it's like, nah, they're no good anymore. Yeah, that's 150 points you've just you have blown. Gone. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It cool. is there. It's they got cool rules. It's just the models are just there's just there's not enough flavor there. And they like it, um, it was it the Romanians, the Bulgarians, and uh, the Hungarians. Their cavalry is just fucking dirt. It's horrible. Like they can't assault. You can't cavalry charge. That's right. Mm, but they get frenetic. Yeah. 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 So anyway, first game. Um, what was the mission? It wasn't. It wasn't sectors. I remember having to defend and I had objectives I needed to hold. No, it was a, a new Brad mission I hadn't played before and it was objectives in a cross, um, perpendicular oh, yeah, yeah, to the like, lines yeah. of the table. Yeah. So it you have a sensor objectives. objectives. Yeah, yeah. Five objectives, four objectives. Uh, anyway, there, there were objectives on the, on the cross, on the 24-inch line, um, on your short edge, and yep. the yep. Um, 36 in the middle so you've got one in yours one on the center line or two on the center line and one in theirs and the further away obviously they were worth more to you and and less to your opponent so i defended i had um like guns in like anti-tank guns in buildings infantry on the flanks um and he just outflanked with everything he had three bets on the right plus the tank um overran the flank pretty quickly um he had auto blinder on the left but he was 
boxed in from Kratos, um, so he didn't get much movement there. Um, the game was really to and fro. Like, he took a lot from me, but I just managed to hold on to objectives. Yeah, you're... It came down that... to, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I was there when you guys were working out the score for the last, you know, like yeah. trying to figure out who held what objective and there was lasers involved and all kinds of weird shit. It was like, that, that came right down to the wire. Literally. It came down to the millimeter yeah. on, on measuring yeah. the objective. And it was like a 10 or five, like five minute debate on whether yeah. it was him or not. The, the little yeah. metal notch on the end of the tape measure. Yeah, it's, yeah, because yeah, yeah, he said, oh, if you hold it like this, it's it, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's my game. But if you actually extend it out, it's like, yeah, but it's supposed to extend it out. I came over as like, as a tradie who uses a tape measure every single day, it's mm -hmm. meant to be extended out. That's yeah, because you're meant to catch it on something, pull it. The reason it has that little bit of movement is to save the end of the tape measure so it doesn't like rip itself apart. But yeah, yeah hot tip. Um, remember that for next time. So yeah, that, that was a uh, hard fought game. Yeah. Really hard for it. And what about you, Tris? How'd you go? I, I played Andrew Baxter, um, uh, Melbourne stalwart, so that was good fun. Um, uh, yeah, I ran my DAC up the board at him, I think. I have a... F you know what? I, I No, he... Americans? Japanese? Yeah. He, no, he threw Japanese <laughs> at me. Okay. I, 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 knew it was, I knew it was something in the Pacific. Yeah, basically, yeah, he threw Japanese at me. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was one of those things where uh, there were a few dice rolls that didn't kind of go his way, um, and I was able to get sort of board dominance, uh, keeping everything kind of at you know at distance. I think my little uh, my martyr came along, blew up his tank, and at that stage I was able to gain some sort of yeah, I was able to gain gain dominance on one of the flanks. I was able to get up there, and then at that stage I was able to consolidate on top of the three center objectives, and I was moving to the second. I think. I think midway through turn five, he consolidated. It, sorry, he um, capitulated and basically said, I can't win from here. Uh, and so that ended up being a full points win for me. Because at that stage, it was like, right, well, you've got nothing to hold me from getting onto your objective. You've got these two squads in the back corner and they're going to get wiped out because I've got yeah a tank, a truck and two squads coming down at you. So it was, like I said, it came down to dice rolls. I don't think really, you know, it's just Andy. I, I didn't beat Andy. Andy's dice beat Andy. But... Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a good game. Uh, game two. Uh, I played Ramon, who I haven't seen before. I believe he might have been one of the new players or relatively new. Cool. Um, and um, he, and Ramon Sahid? Oh, I didn't no, catch his last one. Yeah, I've, I played him at Operation Wolf, which was the first event okay. that Rubes went to. So he's been around. Um, okay. Yeah. Beardy guy? Yeah, like okay. it was cool. Wasn't I, like massively beaded, but yeah. I remember Op Wolf. Sneaky and I got a really good lunch that day. Oh yes, that was the that <laughs> uh, Mr. Crackle. Yeah, <laughs> massive uh, bun made. Kind of yeah, Wolf, Operation Wolf was the uh, event where I showed Lockie the time economics of eating pizza. Hmm. Get two slices, slap them together, pizza sandwich. There you go. <laughs> hey, that's the way to um, do it. So, yeah, you played Ramon. How, what did he yeah, do? Um, well, with an interesting mission in that we play on the diagonal. Um, another objective uh, mission. Yeah. yeah, this was good. Yeah, and it was an interesting board which had uh, heavy trees blocking line of sight on one side. Not yep. much cover, yep. but you would block line of sight. 
all through the diagonal center was barbed wire, craters, like a real no man's land hellscape. And then on my side, or sorry, the side I ended up picking um, was in, like entrenchments. So lots of heavy cover um, throughout there. Um, he was running all that German infantry tooled up to the eyeballs. Um, a Neb, Panzer III, um, and that was pretty much it. It was uh, it was an interesting game in that, as you might expect, no one wanted to venture into no man's land. I couldn't see him. He didn't want to advance out of the trees and get shot to shit from everything that was an ambush. So it was this real cold war, who's going to break first, ratcheting up the pressure, and he had this ace in the hole truck with a flamethrower in it and a vet infantry squad in it, and he kept it on outflank turn after turn after turn just waiting to deliver that knockout blow get me off the objective comes turn six rolls it fails oh no turn seven rolls so he never got his chance (laughs) poor guy brutal but other than that lovely guy we just talk shit you know the whole time um yeah it was just a stalemate and then i had the objectives ran to the center that was it done nice one well done um game two i played an absolute kind of a player uh i had a really skunky uh list just the kind of guy you just don't want to end up across the table from i think his name was bob (laughs) or rob rob that was it rob i played a guy called rob Looks suspiciously, yep. looks suspiciously like my brother. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, we both ended up on the same points. Brad was very apologetic, uh, but I'm like, I don't give a shit. I haven't played Rob in ages. Let's do it. So Rob had a home guard list. Uh, really interesting list, um, as you know, Robin is wanting to do. He had a he took that integrated the squad integrated marksman, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, basically proceeded to scare the living shit out of me, but. Again, I just got some lucky dice rolls when I needed them and um, was able to kind of just negate a lot of the things that he was throwing at me, um, consolidate on top of the objectives. And, uh, yeah, at that stage, I was able to kind of pull hey, a win out of it. don't blow your horn too much, mate. I saw you sweating. I was, 100%. <laughs> I, I'll, I saw I'll own that. He ran into a church. You had a, a truck behind it, uh, yep. treating your oh, truck like, yeah, like my a mobile gun. And then at the yeah. end of the turn, you know, you're ready to rack up dice, and he goes, ah, "Hang on, hang on, Sonny Jim, hold the phone there, yeah, Daddy O, that sucker's toast." Hey, yeah. um, keep keep on talking. I just need to get my charger. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. So yeah, Garrett is right. Yeah, but I I left my truck too close to a church that um Rob jumped into. I couldn't move it, so that was that was destroyed. Uh, a lot of it sort of came into this sort of uh, you know fighting over this this central church. Um. Yeah, it was just a really hard game. But, ah, oh, uh, sorry. Matter of the match, um, I won when he... It was, yeah, this diagonal sort of uh, objectives. And he had the one... The objective that was all the way up in his deployment, um, he was holding that one for a draw. And, yeah, my mortar, basically, I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to target you because he had his artillery observer there. And I said, well, I'm going to fucking drop this on you. And, yeah, fucking rolled a six and killed him took him off that objective he had no score and at that point um i was able to consolidate up 
and took a full points win, which was, like I said, it was just just lucky dice, really lucky dice. You do that way too often, mate. I'm going to have to, ex- you know, take away your dice from you. I think. Yeah, it's probably probably it's, it's been coming for a while now. So you're welcome to them. Fucking, you can have them. They they, they let me down in game four against uh, Paul Walker in the Juggernauts event. So you're welcome to them. Um, yeah. Then uh, game three. How'd you go, game three, Garrett? Tell us. Was- how'd you go? How'd you go, game three? It was a terrible map, jungle, and it had uh, that dense terrain right in front of you. No hard cover, no linear obstacles to go behind. So yeah, Garen and I but played each other game three. We played each other. So I've got a very, well, from the crappy list I had, very shooting orientated. Yeah. And so the cover was just there that when you, if you ran, fine, you'd be in front of the cover. If you're advanced, then you were like stuck in the trees. Um, so you really took two turns to really get into position, and then by third turn you were down my throat pretty much. I knew that I was going to put pressure on you almost immediately because uh, I've played some of the you know some of those lists that you run. You were running French that day, weren't you? Yeah, it was a, a toned down version of my list I've been running yeah. against you. Yeah, so you had like a medium howitzer, a medium um, anti. Sorry. A light howitzer and a yeah. light anti-tank gun. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you had, you had cavalry in there as well? No cav. No cav. But yeah, like inexperienced guys? Uh, there were reg 10-man squads. Okay. Yeah, so like, big squads, which is like, yeah. that's like death for me because I've got these tiny little nuggety six-man squads right. that just don't really do yeah. much. But um, yeah, it was, uh, look, it was a fun game. Um, it was. It sort of came right down to the end, and then by the end, it was. I was able to put enough pressure on you that I was able to kind of like sneak out a win. He's being um, polite. I think I gave up in turn three. <laughs> did you? Did not. There's no way. I did. I did. I did. I I got uh, pretty well butchered by turn three. Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember it that well. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was oh, quite, like... You played it. You played it super well. You had a lot of mobility for your trucks to punch up, and then you just assaulted wherever you could or flamed whatever you could. Yeah. Um, and the gun trucks put down suppressing fire. It was it was masterfully I, done. I've said this for a long time. At fifty four points, uh, a truck with a medium machine gun on it is probably the best points you could spend in the game because it allows Not you to bad. move up cover fire the guys get out and they go to work and then all of a sudden you've got a yeah a, just this this mobile machine gun platform that just sits there and just keeps everyone yeah. especially germans you know kicking out that sort of you know six oh, shots man. it's really tasty yeah um, yeah yeah it was a good game but yeah i managed to pull um first place out of that which was which was a bit of fun um yeah it was a good event it was it was a lot of fun we had i, I can't remember the numbers on new players but like we had, um, six, like you know, some old favorites. Players, I believe six. Yeah, so the, the event so. was sold out. We had like you know some of the old favorites, like Pedro was there. Um, we didn't see Robbie Deacon, I don't think, which was a bit weird. Or did we? I, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but no, it was a it was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, it was amazing. Yeah, and Brad always runs a tight event. Very uh, very well organized. I've said it once. I'll say it again. Um, the man can write a mission. Um, sure. I have a feeling that, uh, well, I'll tell you this supply drop was my favorite mission. Um, up until, uh, the juggernauts showed me one of their missions, which is called penetrating attack. And I yeah. am a convert. I'm a complete convert. Cause this, 
Ari, like listen to this. Penetration, don't you, no, I knew you were going to make that joke. It was way too obvious. You should have played it a lot more subtle. Um, Sneaky, you'll probably get a, a bit of a kick out of this. So with penetrating attack, you don't actually play from the long board edge. You play from the short board edges. And it's essentially um, envelopment, but it's not about getting off of your enemy's board edge. It's about getting into their deployment zone. So even if you get up there, you then have to survive up in there. Yeah right. Um, but everything's like you can deploy everything on the board. I think at the start of the at the start of the game, which I did, and then it's literally a foot slog across the board. And as soon as you switch it the other way, where you have to move, you know, you, you you're not you're not just having to go like three or four feet to get into the enemy's deployment zone. You're having to move a lot further than that under fire and through a much narrower corridor because you're having to, you know you're playing across four feet instead of six. Bloody good mission. It was a lot of fun. It's I think it might be my new favorite mission. Um, I think that if we end up, uh, I think, sorry, put it in Cancun. Nah, too late for that. No, 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 we're not doing that. Uh, but what I might do is, um, I think that next year, Rubes and I are going to try and, excuse me, um, get uh, VBAL off the ground again and get a like a some sort of regular event schedule going. Um, at that point, uh, we might incorporate um, some of the Juggernaut missions and, and the Bolt Action Alliance missions into um, into that event schedule, uh, just to give people a little bit, a little bit of variation on what they've uh, you know what they've otherwise been playing. Um, but yeah, all right. Yeah, I'd love to see Roots do a penetrating attack on you. You know, it'd be great. He's already done that. It didn't work for him. <laughs> nah, just just not my thing, I guess. Yeah, I just I've got too much front armor. It's bounced off. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I think we might hit a break, and then when we get back, uh, we'll have a quick chat about um, my shenanigans in England and going to see Warlord, the Juggernauts, and this, that, and the other. And then we're going to have a bit of a chat about um, uh, new players trying to get new blood into the uh, into the uh, the hobby, and you know how we encourage that because. Um, well, I did actually see um, the demographic uh, in the UK is much the same as you know what we have over here, um, but you know they're they're you know they're trying things. I mean they've got events coming out the wazoo. I think I, I heard on the Juggernauts a little while ago they had like it was something like ten events during the course of October, wow. which is just nuts. And that's fucking Jesus. I want to live there, but um, yeah, we'll have a good chat about uh, new players in the hobby uh, when we get back. Everyone cool with that? Yeah, yeah I think uh, bef before we do, though, I think we've got uh, an interview with a special guest uh, coming oh. up next. And then uh, we'll back into, uh, into that discussion after the um, the uh, interview, which uh, I must say I thoroughly enjoyed. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was not able to make it for this one. I really wanted to be part of this, but unfortunately, <laughs> um, I... Don't worry, I was... Tristan. I got the uh, I got the prerequisite information you requested. There you go. Fuck yeah. What am I? All right. No worries. All right. We'll be back um, after these messages and an interview. We want to take a quick break and give a shout out to our good mates at Kaiju Beer. Kaiju is an award-winning independent beer and cider brewery based in Melbourne. Founded in 2013 by brothers Nat and Callum Reeves, the duo set out to brew an unashamedly intense beer and cider without compromising taste and quality. Looking to shake up an overly serious scene surrounding craft beer culture, you'll spot Kaiju on the shelves with the bold, loud and unusual can designs. Check them out on the Insta at Kaiju Beer 
or spot them at a bottle shop or bar near you. Kaiju! Has he vanished again? That says he's making noise. I am recording. Well, welcome back to the Bacon Burgers podcast, where we have a very special interview for you. As many of you know, Tristan and I are running the Bolt Action event at CanCon next year. And our guest tonight is one of our very generous sponsors. Uh, when we approached them for support, we were blown away with their generosity. So please welcome Carl from War Games Atlantic. Carl, nice to have you with us. Hi, man. How's it going? Yeah, good. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, um, War Games Atlantic, you guys have been around for two years. Is that uh, right? Yeah, I think it was two years this March. So it's just like two and a half years now. Um, but yeah, yeah. Started off, um, you know, making, doing exactly what we do now, which is injection molded. 28 mil plastics, um, and we've just kind of been specialising in doing that ever since. I, I joined the team in, um, when did I join the team? Sometime this year. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's been a, a hell of a ride, you know, churning out that much, that much product and, um, you know, tons of new stuff on the horizon, as always, with any company. But, um, yeah, yeah it's been exciting. It's I been mean, fun, man. Two, when you say two years, that's mind that's actually mind-blowing because if I'm reading correctly, Wargames Atlantic has produced 50 plastic kits in that time. And not just basic Yeah, I mean, it's good quality sorry, plastic God. kits. Yeah, not just yeah. plastic yeah. kits, but very good quality kits as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our, our business model has been, um, you know, we're kind of very unashamed about it. And it's very easy to see. This won't be a surprise to any of your listeners, but... Our business model has been to make things in plastic that other companies don't make. So, A, it becomes, you know, really easy for us to uh, gain a bit of traction and popularity with our kits out there because they're just not available in plastic. And and two, it also means that they're going to be well-received and sell well because, again, they're not out there and available in plastic. So, yeah, that's that's kind of been our business strategy. And, you know, since we've... Um, since we bought our own injection molding machines and, and got full control over our own factory and moved uh production to the us which was originally in china um you know it's it's been a lot faster even then so our, our kind of our net goal over the next 12 months really and i don't see it taking 12 months at all because we're already in the process of of making that goal happen but we're kind of looking at in, in an ideal world one plastic kit a week you know 52 releases a year would be good so yeah that's kind of where we want to be <laughs> Jesus, you! Yeah. I should you caveat made... that with they're not all going to be World War Two releases, obviously. But well, um, you know, we do I multiple mean, ranges at a rate of one a week. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a gamer who's actually going to complain about the fact that oh, they're not all World War Two releases. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That is that is absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah, and as someone who does look at existing ranges and lament the lack of plastic kits for them can i just say thank you very much for all that oh no, yeah it's it makes life it's, so it's much one easier. of the pure joys of of this industry is is realizing you bring a little bit of happiness to people that have been waiting for something for a long time and as somebody that's played you know a lot of different bolt action armies and a lot of di different 40k armies etc you know i know not everything's available so it's good to be able to start you know plugging those mm -hmm. gaps with different fantasy ranges and sci-fi ranges of historical stuff so yeah, it's it's an awesome feeling. Historical stuff is great. Like I've got uh, some of your uh, Persians, which are fantastic. Um, yeah. The Napoleonics. Um, I've got the the late Romans, which um, 
the existing kits out there and other ranges vary in quality, but yours are just absolutely spot on. Um, yeah. And then not to mention all the World War Two and World War One kits. Um, like that French kit, I've got to say, is probably my favourite, being useful for both World War One, World War Two. Um, yeah, I've got uh, I've got a couple boxes <laughs> sitting there ready to go. Um, and the uh, Conquistadors and Aztecs on the way because I mean that's just something that no one else has really done other than a couple of obscure metal ranges. It's just fantastic to see those gaps being filled and sort of catering to all tastes. Yeah, you you broke up a little yeah. bit there, but I caught most of that. <laughs> yeah, the the World War Two French kit specifically is one of the more popular kits for an obvious reason one it, it's world war one and world war two french in one box which is fantastic um and you know two it doesn't exist out there in plastic so mm. again that's um that makes it very easy and you know it, i'm preaching to the converted here but one of the huge benefits of 28 mil molded plastic is that you can kit bash it a lot easier than you can do with something that's resin or metal or whatever the other medium is that's out there. Um, I know there's a lot of these, like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like these sort of faux plastics and like, um, I'm trying to think of whatever the yeah, word is for of, like fine cast or whatever. Um, yeah. 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 It's like that hard plastic, not quite resin, yeah, not like quite a, plastic. Yeah, like PVC type stuff. And yeah, that's fine, yeah. but it's still not customizable. And that's what we try no. and do with a lot of our kits. I mean, if you look specifically at the Deathfields range, I think I'm writing saying it, it might not be all of them, but all of the arms and all of the heads and all of the bodies and stuff are interchangeable. So you could buy a box of, mm. um, for example, Ura, which is um, going on pre-order soon, and you can swap that in with like the cannon fodder bodies. So you can have the Ura weapons with the cannon fodder bodies, or uh, the cannon fodder heads with the Ura bodies, or whatever combination you want to do. So if you like a specific kit bash in mind, they're all interchangeable. Fantastic. I know. I can pretty accurately say that most Imperial Guard players or Astra Militarum, I think it is these days, yeah, uh, are probably salivating at the prospect of those kits. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. We've knocked it out of the park, and it's a consistent improving on the previous kit from what I've mm. seen. Um, you're not one to rest on your laurels. The quality definitely improves with each box that comes out. And as someone who's taken one too many pieces of metal to the head when trying to kit bash, um, yeah. I can honestly say, Again, thank you. You're saving my scalp from random <laughs> shards of metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's yeah. It's I think if you're doing a project right, and we've we've all been there. You know, I did my British um, Airborne Army 19. Um, what was it? 1943 British Airborne Landing Force. Um, and um, yeah, I remember putting together the two six pounder anti tank guns and the two medium mortars and the, all that stuff. And I'm just like, this would be so much easier if it was done in plastic mm. because my fingers are glued together i've snipped a bit off and it's gone flying across the room and the dog's yep. eating it now i don't know if my dog's got lead poisoning i don't know if it's lead anymore <laughs> it's just it's just an absolute nightmare but yeah that's just me ripping on people that don't make plastics but um yeah, yeah plastic's I mean, definitely it's, the way. it's just the medium of the industry now isn't it it's yeah. what's expected i mean it's interesting that you mentioned the artillery kits because for a long t for at least the last few months now i've had a few conversations with people who are who are questioning whether or not you guys are going to branch out into plastic artillery kits. Now we know Rubicon does them, and those kits come with their own pros and cons. I'm I'm a fan of them. I will say it. 
But is our artillery kit something that Wargames Atlantic is looking at, you know, maybe a year or two down the track? Yeah, I mean, we get this question a lot, not just like specifically about artillery, but about vehicles and scenery and, and scatter terrain and stuff like that. You know, it's when are you going to make plastic this? And people think of us as like a, I guess it's like a, we've made a rod for our own back in the sense of people think of us as a 28 mil, you know, infantry miniatures company. However, mm. you know, specific and niche people like to boil things down. But really, we're just a, a company that makes plastic things. And we, our commercial decisions are based on what's the best selling and most profitable plastic thing that's going to be that doesn't already exist out there. Mm. So, you know, when we absolutely get to a stage where, you know, those plastic artillery pieces or weapon crews or whatever it might be, you know, maybe we do like a box of, I'm completely spitballing. This isn't confirmed. This is just me thinking off the top of my head. But maybe we do like a, a British BEF, um, you know, artillery piece with crew box, maybe that's, you know, the same Thank size you. as a normal infantry box. Rubes <laughs> <laughs> um, is hitting that pre order button. Why isn't it working? <laughs> yeah. But my, my point is the, that commercial decision will be made as soon mm. as we've got through all the other stuff we want to do. And there's so much other stuff we want to do um, that's just, you know, frankly, more more popular that has a wider appeal and just makes more commercial sense and mm. that's one of the struggles when it it's a company decision because you know if it was me yeah. on my own and i had a plastic injection molding machine in my shed i would make whatever <laughs> i wanted to make but i unfortunately i yeah. don't have a million pounds to buy one of those personally and um yeah that means that we have to make decisions that are based on you know things that are really boring like paying wages and you know keeping the lights on and stuff you know it's these little you know the minute details of life that really drag down the uh <laughs> the, the, the perspective kits it's it's something that really needs to be addressed yeah um, i mean specifically with vehicles like i know we've had that discussion internally quite a few times and we've bounced ideas around and stuff and i think the the problem with vehicles is there's already quite a wide variety out there mm. and anything that's kind of left is almost like um oops, sorry someone's at my door um is almost like a specialist vehicle right so yeah. then it, you get into a conversation of okay commercially how many are we going to move and then what's it mm. mean and, yeah. and so yeah ultimately it just ends up going further down the list than we'd like it to that's not saying that we're never going to make stuff like that it's just there's other priorities you know we want to do a lot more plastic world war ii stuff we want to do a lot more plastic um sci-fi and fantasy stuff i mean it is something that i've seen a few more than a few times in various forums where a company will announce they're releasing a plastic vehicle kit now be it warlord or rubicon there are always the fans and there are always those who are going to push back against it and there are those who are on the fence for yeah. whatever reason um so in that in that regard i can understand the um i guess not quite reluctance but certainly the distance approach to tackling vehicle kits and again as you say if you were doing them it would be producing things that are in resin that aren't in plastic but they're probably going to be those niche yeah. vehicles yeah and now, there's a lot of companies out there that company... make resin vehicles that they make them yeah. in resin for a reason you know it's not worth the yeah. however much money it costs to cut you know, a steel die to yeah. cast the plastics. Yeah, I mean, present company accepted. Who's going to want fifteen plastic Hummels? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I think, yeah, Rubes is the only one crazy enough to tackle that. Um, if someone turned around and said, "Hey, I'm making plastic Jagdpanzer fours," I'd be going, "I'm interested." Yeah. But again, it's yeah. a thing of 
not everyone wants that kit. Yeah. Um, I, you know, me personally, like I'm, I think plastic vehicles would work for us. And again, this is a, you know, a lot further down the line. We haven't even had really had discussions internally about it other than whether mm. it's a good idea or not. But I think they'd work in the sense of, you know, you buy, um, you buy a Panzer three box and it's got all the different variants of the Panzer three, or you buy like, um, like a Sherman box and it's got all the variants of that particular Sherman hull type. I mean, that'd be an immense box. Yeah, like, right. That so that's be... that's probably how we yeah. tackle it. That's kind of what we're famous for. We put, you know, four times as many heads as you need, twice as many weapons as yeah. you need in the box. So it's it's completely like kit bashable, customizable. So I mean, the day that's you just guys, the day you announce you're doing a uh, a plastic Gebex Jaeger box, I, <laughs> yeah, I will buy shares. Like honestly, yeah. I um, wish I wish I could tell you the stuff that's coming up, but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's um I, I won't let myself be teased into releasing that information yet i'll get in a lot of trouble now you've mentioned you're a, you're a previous 40k gamer and you're a bolt action gamer yeah as i think i'm still action. currently a 40k gamer actually as well oh, okay yeah. still dabbling in yeah. the dark side Interesting. yeah I, it's a weird hobby though because you you go through like a cycle of you play a lot of 40k because it's what everyone plays mm. and then ultimately i think a lot of people just end up just you know i can show you over here for apologies to the audio listeners but i've got a shelf there that's just full of blood angels and that's just like my my weekly painting project like i take five dudes out i finish them off and mm. stuff we haven't been on the table yeah. in like two years so yeah i think yeah. it's one of those modeling hobbies I mean, now what well, is for me anyway full credit games workshop from a modeling perspective their kits are fantastic um mm -hmm. but as a bolt action gamer there is a line of miniatures that is something that's quite it has a certain nostalgic uh fondness for me um the finish range there it's the army that i got into bolt action with it's the army i learned bolt action with now mm -hmm. the availability of miniatures for them is very limited and with war games atlantic's ability to kick out a 30-man box at the drop of a hat is there yeah. any possibility that we may see them in the future Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, that that's not a Finnish-specific answer. The answer to, you know, any... The answer to, is there a possibility that we'll see all of the plastic World War II I mean, games in the next you know, couple of years? Sense. And the answer is yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess in that um, sense I'm asking, is there a, a higher-than-possible chance? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all coming. Like, I don't think that's a surprise to our World War II gamers. You know, um, the World Thank War II kits on. are amongst some of the more popular kits on our website. Um, for obvious reasons and we we mm. you know we owe a lot to you know not just bolt action but all of the world war ii games that yeah kind of tick that nostalgia box like chain of command or rules of engagement or whatever it might be i mean even the but, guys that you know, play flames of war in 28 mil exactly right yeah, yeah. and then there's the there's the other side of that spectrum which are the lunatics that play bolt action in 15 mil which i've <laughs> never got my head around uh, it looks cool though, mil but... it's just a, a no-fly yeah. zone all round. um no yeah it's listeners, not... never paint never paint p dot camage camouflage in 15 mil your <laughs> yeah, eyes will that, go insane that sounds terrible um but yeah no to answer the question every world war ii infantry kit is on our our perspective list and it's not like a perspective list of we might make it our intention is fully to make all of them it's just deciding the order yeah um, now I, I do know what the next couple are going to be um, but after that, it's completely down to, you know, we, we try and be, 
And I think we are very good at talking to the community, specifically my boss, Hudson, very good on yeah, Facebook, absolutely. You know, going, this is what's in our newsletter. Um, this is what you can expect. And he he loves leaking information and being the guy to like gather the, the insight <laughs> and stuff. So because he's worse than me with keeping his lips <laughs> tied. You know, we've got the URA, the original idea for the URA was to be like, we're just going to drop the URA and the bugs at the same time and just let the community go wild. But no. I've already accidentally <laughs> told people on Facebook. I've, I've put some pictures up just oh, to get that's, some interest. That is brilliant. Cool. But oh. um, but no, yeah, it, it's not a it's not a list like you know we we might make all these plastic World War Two infantry kits. We are going to make all of these plastic World War Two infantry kits. Oh, love it's it. just a matter of it's a matter of time yeah. before we do all of the stuff that you know nobody else has done in plastic, and then we'll probably start smashing through all the stuff that everyone else has done in plastic. But mm. you know, just just do it slightly differently or, or, or update it or, um, you know, put the, the war games Atlantic spin on it, which is, you know, ultimately making it super customizable and super user friendly. Yeah. I mean, that is one thing I do <laughs> love about the kits is just the huge array of options you get, but it's absolutely yeah. phenomenal. I mean, looping back to the French box, the rifles from World War one through to the rifles from World War two, I'm sitting there looking at it, trying to categorize the number of kit bashes I can do. And eventually yeah. I get to a point where my brain shuts down because it goes, there's too much information here. It's overload. It's incredible. Well, um, but in saying know. that about how active you are on social media, your Friday polls are always well received. How does that factor into the selection process of what? Also go on, Rubes. Yeah, it's on that French kit, I mean, not to mention just how many kit bashes, how many different units you can make out of it. You've got the Colonial Troops, uh, you've got the Harlem Hellfighters, yeah. World War One. Uh, you've got the World War One regular infantry, World War Two regular infantry. It's just such a versatile kit. Yeah, and we really lucked out with the French stuff because uniforms were were very broadly the same. And look, no no kit that tries to be super customizable is going to be fantastic for the purist. Like we we know that. Um, but you yeah. know, broadly speaking, it does World War One and World War Two, and you know we managed to achieve that. Um, you know, four or five different varieties of of troops there, with you know just a few head options and a few weapon options, and it's just it's one of those kits that happens to be you know cover a long span of time anyway. So it sells well because it sells to people that play World War One games, be that bolt action in World War One or, or any other World War Two game in World War One, um, or specific World War One games, and it sells to all the people that play World War Two stuff. And then you've got all the the other people that we always forget about in this hobby, which are the model makers, the diorama makers, all those kinds of guys. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, super fantastic kit. But to, to answer your question um, about the, the Friday polls, how much do they play into our, I guess, business strategy? And the, the answer is hugely. Um, you know, if there's um, if there's a thing that your, your listeners want to see or that anybody that's listening to this wants to see and they want to get in with a chance of putting it on our radar... It could just be that we haven't thought of it. Um, my advice yeah. would be get on the Facebook page and answer on the Facebook poll. There's always an other option and drop a comment and those comments lead to discussions. And, you know, we, we do genuinely read all of them. I know, you know, YouTubers and digital companies and all those people say we read and like every comment. We, we legitimately go through every comment um, because there's I some mean, I... absolute hidden gems in there. Yeah. I mean, I think initially whenever I see a company putting up a poll and saying, you know, we read every comment. I approach that with a certain amount of cynicism yeah. because I'm like, well, how many hours are there in the day? 
But Wargames Atlantic is one of those companies that genuinely takes that interest. And for those listening who are not aware, Wargames Atlantic Legion is the Facebook group. Um, when we put this post up, we will put a link in the description. Um, so you can jump there if you're not already there. But, I mean, phenomenally active. And every week, the polls get more and more varied. And as you say, there are hidden gems in there. There are things that I've read that I've never even thought about. And I think, actually, no, that would make a good project. But then I remember I'm hopeless at finishing projects. So it's kind of like, mm, is it really worth it? <laughs> yeah, no. I've, um, I've, I've had to start like well you can see on the camera but for the benefits of the audio listeners i've got a like a just a cheap white ikea dining table behind me but that's now my paint station and the rule is whatever goes on it doesn't come off until it's finished because i will just you know box up 40 french infantry and just you know forget mm. about them for six months and then i end up coming back to them i'm like where did i start what was my painting recipe and then i just end up going you know it's not <laughs> worth it i'll just probably start again I'm going to have to politely ask you to stop calling me out like that. That's, <laughs> I, I didn't, I came here to do an interview. Oh, I didn't come here to be attacked. Yeah. This is horrible. <laughs> um, but no, it is a real problem. I cleared a heap of miniatures off my, um, my painting desk to make room for other miniatures because they'd been sitting there for too long. So yeah, I, I know exactly. I'm, I'm also feeling attacked. Yeah. <laughs> And you, you tell you tell yourself as well. You tell yourself, I'll, I'm just gonna like work on this other thing, and then I'll recharge to come back to this thing, and then yeah, before you know it, it's next year, and you know, yeah, yeah. that lies we tell ourselves. Yeah, right. Or you've read a new book. Yeah. Yep. And then I'm like, oh, I got to paint some of those and push the current project out of the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yep. Yeah. Super crazy. It's a big problem. I'm currently looking through the war games at range for minis for dnd now yeah um because that's a thing yeah we've got some, so, some fantastic miniatures yeah. for dnd i mean that's the other you know if i was to compartmentalize our our business you know it's probably like you know fantasy mm. sci-fi oh, yeah. and world and, and then world war ii i mean I'm pro i put all historical in there because there's some outlying stuff that does yeah. really well like the british rivals for napoleonics and stuff and the prussian reserves mm. um but broadly speaking those are the three pillars and the fantasy stuff sells incredibly oh, yeah. well to to the D and D crowd or the the role playing crowd in in general, not just D and D but Pathfinder and stuff, because they are just you know not to play our kits down, we design them deliberately like this. They are just generic fantasy um, models. You know, it's it's, it's no mm. more complicated than that. I mean, they're still you know our super customizable, highly detailed models, but they are you buy goblins and you know I'm not ripping on any other company here, but if you buy you know X company's goblins, they look like you know, X companies, goblins. You buy GWs, squigs or whatever, they're very much their typical art style, which is great if that's what you're after. But if you're just after middle of the road, bog standard goblins that can be painted mm. up as, you know, like swamp goblins or forest goblins or whatever, you can put your own spin on it. Then, you know, we we really cater to that kind of middle ground yeah. that we try to anyway. I mean, I love the uh, the subtle differences with your kits as well, like the skeleton kit. Yeah, they're festooned in Greek and yeah. Mediterranean yeah, yeah. weapons and armor. Like, it's a fantastic diversion. That you know, I, I looked at those um, those skeletons when I joined, and I like this is a horrible thing to admit, but I was kind of racking my head to decide why are they selling so well? Because for me, as a as a D and D you know DM and a guy that plays D and D, I look at them and I think they look 
they look really like basic but you know it took me a long while to realize oh it's because they're super basic and super mm. customizable and they've got that kind of um i forget what the 70s or 80s or might be a 60s film that they look like or remind me of is it like army of the dead or something like that Just they, they probably the give me those like old school movie vibes that's it that's it yeah they very much look like that and i'm like well that's why they sell because then the style they hit the nostalgia button they hit the simplicity button they hit the customizable button they sell incredibly well and they're also perfect yeah. for uh, i mean God's mythic as well if you uh happen to play that system so the fantasy version of Warband, okay, cool. which is the um, Greek Warbands. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I saw the Mortal God starter sets come out. It must have been a couple of years oh, ago now. Yeah. I feel like I saw them before Pandemic, and it was like a Greeks versus, uh, well, different Greek city-states, I think, yeah. at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, some Persians. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think there was like an Athens versus Thebes yeah. box or something, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and they've, they've yeah. released a... Um, Greek mythology version, so Mythic, I think it was called, like, uh, Mortal Gods Mythic or something along those lines, that adds in, like, Hydra and Medusa cool. and, and skeletons and, you know, cool stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, Carl, you've touched on 40K, you've touched on Bolt Action, you've now revealed that you're a DM for D&D as well. Yeah. Just how how varied is your wargaming or tabletop gaming background? Oh, like, dude. What are we talking I've... here? Yeah, it's dangerous. So, <laughs> yeah, where do I start, really? We we moved into this house in April of last year. Um, we moved from, like, a new build to, an, an, I guess, an old build, technically, like an older house, like a 1930s house. And my wife was like, it'll be a great idea. We'll do it up. We'll renovate it and stuff. And what I think she meant to say was, it's a great idea. You'll do it up. You'll renovate it. And you'll learn all of these skills that you don't possess as somebody that sits in front of a computer and sends emails all day. You know, you will learn to be a carpenter or a bricklayer <sighs> or whatever. But one of the, the great things that she did do for me, forced me to do, was make me build. So she said, you're not having any of your nerd crap in the house. You're going to build an office in the garden, and that's where you can keep all your stuff. So I built this 30 square meter office in the garden um if you look too closely at it you'll realize that none of the walls are square and the roof's a little bit janky and you know the one of the windows is slightly further forward in the wall than the other but don't worry about it it's it's watertight and it's warm but because i've now got this 30 meter squared space in my house or in my garden i've just been filling it with stuff and that's such a dangerous thing to do almost like yeah. you, you almost need to give yourself a smaller space so mm. I mean, yeah, how deep does the hole go? Jeez, um, <laughs> blood, blood angels, um, imperial knights. I'm just looking at what I can see. Almost every character from Marvel Crisis Protocol, uh, six or seven armies from Age of Sigmar. I mean, there's got to be at least six or seven armies from, from 40K as well in various different stages. I can see two 30K armies from here. Um, Star Wars Legion, Star Wars X-Wing, Star Wars Armada. More bolt action than you could shake a stick at. Napoleonics um yeah that's just what i can see as well there's so much more Easy. stuff and then you know like the typical everything that you get for D, &D because you know yeah. you've, you've got one encounter that requires a cave troll so you end up going out and buying a cave troll that you're going to use once mm. um so yeah i've got cabinets of those miniatures that you know, just get used on occasion um and what did i do the other day i went into my local store um i just decided because I was there that I was going to start doing a firstborn dark angels army, but just because 
just because wow. I fancied it, um, which I definitely, yeah, I don't need to do that. That's a, an expense that I don't need in my I life. Mean, but there's an argument yeah, to be made. It's a bit crazy. We don't really need anything of what we do, but it's certainly a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, um, totally, totally. Now, of those games you've mentioned, there is one that War Games Atlantic has collaborated on and produced beautiful miniatures kits for. And for those listening, I'm talking about 0200 Hours, which yes. is... Actually, what is it, Carl? Can you tell us a bit about it? Because I've looked at it, and from what I, my understanding is, it's sort of like your classic um, Magnificent Seven versus the Goons type setup. Yeah. So look, it's absolutely worth saying that I've I've played one game of Zero Two Hundred Hours, um, and so I'd probably be in a much better place to tell you about the models that we did for it because it's it's a game that's produced by a company called Grey for Now Games who you might know from doing Test of Honor um which I believe used to be a Warlord Games property as well actually yeah, uh, but those guys um yeah first edition might have been yeah um those guys set up their own company which is Grey for Now Games um and yeah so essentially you you have like an elite SAS uh, commando paratrooper rangers whatever you want to paint them as kind of force um they're behind enemy lines under the cover of darkness um and it's it's their job to carry out you know, a mission now the models that we did for them are probably some of the best models that we've ever done because they're super characterful um you know really really nice looking um world war ii mm. characters german centuries um commandos that have you know like they look super sneaky beaky they look super specialist um, and they're, yeah, they're, they're definitely the most characterful models that we've ever done. Um, you should absolutely put the images to the, the painted models from the Zero Two Hundred uh, website in the in the description for this one because people will want to see them. Um, they will be coming to War Games Atlantic, so you can buy them from oh, us directly fantastic. at some point in the future. Yeah, that date hasn't been set yet. I mean, excuse I'll, me, I'll be watching the calendar for that day because these models. But yeah, it's not far off. I mean, yeah, they are very pretty. You you rattled off a list of specialists there, and you did mention rangers. Now, does this mean at some point we're probably going to see kits for American specialists? I mean, the zero two hundred stuff was done because you know the the guys at Gray for Now Games wanted us to do some stuff. If they sell really well, then mm. absolutely, there's a chance that those those kinds of specialist character kits will move up the list. Um, but you know, like it's like I said about the commercial stuff yeah. before. It's it's always going to be whatever, yeah, whatever we think the biggest, essentially bang for our buck is going to be. Uh, that's going to please the most people because you know, mm. happy people buy stuff from us. Well, I mean, absolutely. In saying that, I do know that if War Games Atlantic were to drop a plastic American paratrooper kit, it would be very well received. Yeah. Um, if it could somehow straddle the. Uh, is it Rubes? Is it the nineteen forty three uniform? Yeah, so the, the one uniform, with the uniform changed in uh, forty four um, pre D Day, but however, it wasn't rolled out to a lot of units yet. There was still a lot getting ran in the old, the old yeah. jump smocks um, with the really patches see, sewn on the knees. Yep, you really see the yeah forty three or forty four pattern um, uniform uh, from Market Garden onwards. Uh, which was also a different colour. Yeah. It was that greener, more khaki coloured. This is why we keep Rubes around. He's like a walking encyclopedia. You just poke him and facts fall out. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and I, I know that's a big thing for people as well that mm. play, you know, American Airborne because a you want your army to yeah. look homogenous, and b if you're if you're doing a market garden force, you want them to look yeah. like you want that level of force. And I know we're, we're we're ultimately arguing about you know whether or not the pockets are in the right place on some trousers on a twenty eight mil model. Like it's it's so arbitrary, but it's also so important um, for the yeah. people that that play it. So yeah, we would probably. I'd like to think that we might do. T- kits um mm. but i don't i don't know how we would approach that particular problem but i look forward to approaching it in the future because yeah it's definitely going to be oh, on our radar be a massive market for it i mean just about everyone you talk to was saying band of brothers at some point or they mm. watched the longest yeah. day or a bridge too far so yeah, yeah yeah um rubes did you have any questions um no i'd just like to back up what rubes are you there can you hear me? Rubes. We're we having technical issues. Rubes, if you can hear me, this is your conscience. <laughs> <laughs> My conscience says buy more plastic crack. It's um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, a good conscience. Soon. Oh, yeah. Um, so I actually pre-ordered all the uh, 0200 um, hours sets. Um, I've got them sitting next yep. to me waiting to be added to my very long mm. pile of shame um and they're gorgeous mm. um now i back up what harry says about things like the, the u.s specialists and things like that because i for one i know i would snap them up but i do um i do follow gray for now games i've got their entire test of honor range i've been a big fan for a long time um, but i've noticed that the, in their discussions they've they've talked about future expansions into different theaters um, different forces and things like that. So, yeah. you know, I would definitely be keen to see some of those specialists coming out for, for some of their additions down the track too. Um, I am actually going to be looking at having to get a box or two of partisans because there was discussion. Of yeah, totally. And like, whether that's a thing that they want to do in collaboration with us. Well, sorry, go on, Reeves. I, I interrupt you there. No, no, no. Please, please go on. I was just going to say whether that's a thing that they want to do in collaboration with us, which we're you know always ecstatic to work on awesome projects like that, or whether it's a thing that we in the future you know just commercially decide we're going to make some character kits or we're going to do X, Y, or Z because you know it looks really cool and there's a craving for it. it I don't think it's impossible to say that it's going to happen. You know, it's just again, it's just a matter yeah. of time. You know, as as we've got two plastic injection molding machines now, um, we'll always be looking to expand that number as we get our production levels up to a capacity where it just maxes out the machine because we want to be making new stuff all the time. So I, I don't think you can anticipate a slowdown from us, especially if we hit that, especially, you know, once we exceed that, you know, one new release a week in plastic, that uh, that doesn't have to be the end goal. Um, that's just the starting point. That's where we want to be um, just for flexibility and control. I mean, one kid a week is beyond anything any company i think has ever dreamed of but if you're saying that's the starting point are we potentially looking at some end game of one kit a day because that would be oh god yeah 365 releases a year wow yeah i mean look it's not impossible um it's just gonna it's just gonna boil down to whether or not people want to buy that much stuff i mean um, i'm a little concerned you know, by the we, fact that when i pitch one kid a day you don't just stop and go no absolutely not you go no way oh, hang on a minute uh, maybe <laughs> yeah well look we um one of the benefits of war games atlantic well one of our internal benefits is 
because we own the machines and the infrastructure and the distribution and all that stuff, it's actually really cheap for us to bring a kit to market. It's like a, it's a lot more competitive for us than it is for a lot of other companies. So we can be, you know, a lot more uh, reactive to the market changes and we can implement things a lot quicker. Um, I mean, I'm sure your listeners have seen, if you're into sci-fi and you've seen the URA um, releases on our website, you know, we only announced that like, I think a month and a half ago, they're almost, they're almost fulfilled. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not super crazy for us to be like, okay, we're going to send this to a sculptor. We're going to agree on the sculpts. And then we mm. have a look at them internally, usually get them 3d printed and look at them and be like, okay, so, you know, I change this, I change that it goes back, comes forward. Uh, then it's literally just get the, get the metal cut, get it in the machine. Let's start printing some miniatures. Um, so it's, it's not crazy to think that our route to market is super quick, but we, we know we have that advantage because we own our own machines and infrastructure and stuff. So the only thing that's ever going to stop us from doing more releases, you know, one kit a day or three kits a day or, you know, a million kits a day will just be dictated by whether people want that many kits and whether it's financially viable. It's never going to be a case of we don't want to. You know, we want to do as many as we can for as many people as we can and please as many people as possible. But it's just going to be a commercial thing. You know, we just need the money to buy plastic, to make models, to sell more plastic. Mm. It's as simple as that. I mean, considering how often... Oh, sorry, Rubes. Sorry. Um, so just on that, um, and this is perfect given that you guys own your own machinery and, and everything, can you give us a rough idea of uh, how long it goes it takes from idea to kits on a shelf? Yeah, I mean, roughly speaking, we're probably looking at about two to three months, right? So from, like, idea conception to, like, the kit is actually in a, in a store ready to sell. But, you know, that's... A lot shorter in the US because our factory is in the US. So it literally goes mm. from, you know, it's made in our factory to it's in a shop down the road. It's it's super clean cut. The other, you know, like air freight to Australia is a bit of a, a pain in the backside at the moment because there's less planes at the moment. So, you know, you're constantly waiting in the queue. And then sea freight to, to Europe in our European warehouse is also, you know, not as much of a queue, but a lot longer in terms of time. So it, it depends geographically where you are, but the time frame is really not that good. That, that long um you know when you're thinking other companies in the industry might be looking at you know like planning it 12 months out you know maybe even 24 months out for a plastic release that's a, a long time so you know and that's i think that's what disheartens consumers because mm. i think a lot of consumers know that's the case and they think okay well if they if they've just told me on a podcast or a, a newsletter or whatever the medium of communication might be that they have no plans to do X. That means I'm definitely not going to see it yeah. for at least the next 12 months, maybe 24, because if they've got no interest in it, then it's, they haven't even got to the point of putting the idea forward. And then, yeah, then you've got to work with a partner that does plastic injection molding because they don't own their own equipment. And this is true for so many other companies. Um, whereas, yeah, I think investing in your own equipment is such a huge must for us because we just needed to be in control of that mm. that timescale, not just the delivery and the the cost economics of it, but just having control of satisfying the customer as quickly as humanly possible. But best case scenario, you know, we, we'd probably be looking at six weeks. If we were like, Jesus. right, we, we want to make a kit. Let's say we want to make plastic fins because I know you're super excited for plastic fins. <laughs> Hell yeah. So we go, right, okay, let's get a sculptor in. Um, we probably maybe even freelance the sculpt of somebody that knows the specialist stuff so we can get it done super quickly we'd get the plastic fins done we'd get them cut we'd start pumping out plastics within six weeks and, and you have a pre-order for about so, boxes for me <laughs> yeah yeah it wouldn't be um i don't think it would be a hard <laughs> no, sell but um 
yeah, no, it, we can be very rapid. Um, I don't think we've had a need to be very rapid very often because we tend to be ahead of the curve anyway. We tend mm. to be, you know, just not ahead of the curve in so looking at competition because we don't really look at sounds incredibly arrogant, but we don't look at other companies as competition. We just look at ourselves and say, you know, we're we're making yeah. X. Consumers want now they want Y, so we'll start making Y. Facebook mm. polls and stuff tell us what they want. And that's as a as a process has worked really well for us because it turns out our customers are really honest and genuine and do tell us what they want and yada yada. So when we release the thing, it sells incredibly well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we don't really have to go. You know, all GWs banging out you know fifty kits a month or whatever it might be, or fifty kits a year. We don't really. It's not really like a measuring stick thing for us. It's just mm. we're just trying to perfect our process and get as slick and as good as we can be. And I mean, I suppose really good mindset too that um allows you to really focus on what you're doing and and um keep your eyes on yeah. your end mm. rather than trying to keep it with the joneses yeah exactly speak, which is fantastic yeah yeah success to us is just just being as successful as we can be it's not being more successful than anyone else or you know shitting on another company because they we've done something perceived wrong by the community or the industry or we you know actually we we're in a weird position as a miniatures company because we don't currently make any rule sets and we we don't currently make any games that you know keep customers coming back to us for the single point of you know yeah. well, you've got to use our models or you've got to do this that or the other to play our game we don't have that thing at the moment so we're we're super reliant on the other rule makers out there that create mm. that need for miniatures because um, you know playing games is like you know 90 percent of the the need to buy I'd say the other 10% is your model makers, diorama guys, kit bashers or whatever. Um, so, you know, we, we don't want them to, to do bad. We don't want them to fail. We actually want them to do really well um, because, you know, the better that they do, the more people there are yeah, in the, the hobby space in general. Yeah. Mm. So I suppose it, it gives you that freedom to be active rather than reactive. You don't have to try yeah, totally. and second guess what, you know, their next release is going to be. And yeah. in doing that, you've stolen several marches on... <laughs> um a few companies out there i know when i first got into bolt action people were despairing that they would never see plastic italians and then they appeared plastic partisans i was always hanging out for you delivered plastic yeah. french you know it's just been success after success after success um but you also said that currently war games atlantic doesn't produce a rule set is there any possible future project in the pipeline is it something yeah, totally. that you it's, would... there's, there, there yeah. will be in my tenure at war games atlantic there will be rule sets um that is the you know i, I feel like i'm 99 sure in saying that you can put that down as an election problem. that's yeah that's 100 a campaign um commitment <laughs> but um it's just you know it's like anything that we do we we don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it because there's you know say we do we're talking a lot about World War II because you guys predominantly mm. are a bolt action podcast and stuff. But say we do a World War II game. Well, what would we want that to look like? We don't want to just do it for the sake of doing it or to you know take market yeah. share off other people. We'd want to make it unique and interesting and fun, and we'd want to you know fix some of the perceived problems in other games or you know um, you know maybe add some mechanics from you know other yeah. other genres that don't exist and. Just to do a rule set, I mean, I'm sure it would be very easy to just, you know, 
buy a rule set or license a rule set or get someone in that's a professional rules writer to write a rule set and that's never been a challenge but the big question for us would be why and then once we've we've solved the why of why we want to do it it's then the you know how is it different how is it you know how is it the best thing mm. for us how is it specific to us you know like um yeah we'd kind of want like uh, that that pull factor that mm. our kits have where it's you know super customizable yeah. and stuff we'd want to have similar pull factors for for rule sets not customizable rule sets but you know we'd want you know specific things that people yeah. would then know and learn about us and and grow to love hopefully yeah so i think just banging out a rule set for the sake of banging out a rule set is a dangerous thing because then you get a reputation of being yeah you know, oh, here's a company that's just you know plugged out a rule set to try and push more models yeah and that's never been the case for us Absolutely. we don't need a reason to sell more models but I'd be foolish to say that we weren't interested in doing rule sets. We've got a huge death field sci-fi range. I think that would be a great contender to start with. And then, you know, just as the as the historical ranges grow and, you know, do those rule sets all look very similar in terms of mechanics or are they very different because of settings? And yeah. I mean, I think that is a question that I see thrown up fairly constantly in regards to, to death fields is when are we going to see a rule set? Mm. And... I mean, in terms of Wargames Atlantic being, I guess, system agnostic, those models themselves are system agnostic and therefore people are free to use them for whatever they want. But, you know, it would be interesting to see what the death fields... I mean, let's use death fields as an example. It would be interesting to see how that world would be fleshed out, what rules would go with it, and so on. I, you know, for one, I'd be keen to see it. I know Rubes doesn't need any incentive to buy any new games, but he'd be definitely. Keen. It's like you just you just said, you know, Deathfields is system agnostic, which is why you know it sells well. But you could make that argument for any kit that's available. You know, mm. Warhammer Forty K kits are system agnostic because I use AOS, you know, stuff in in D anD D, or I use Forty K stuff in different sci fi games, but. It's it's a weird like mental thing for hobbyists because I think it's once the brand gets so recognised you can't see yourself using it in another setting like it's it looks very odd to use Blood Angels in Stargrave you just like I mean technically it makes perfect sense they're just space yeah. dudes playing but a space dudes game thing of but there's that yeah that cognitive exist. thing of yeah. like why are my space marines here um, mm. but you know that's that's by the by so. You know, I've seen some of the law write-ups for uh, like the fluff stuff for Death Fields, and you know, it sounds really cool. And I think story is very important to something that doesn't have sort of a historical um, acumen of its own already. So, sci-fi and fantasy stuff—you're going to need the story is going to be the thing that sells. You know, how much mm. you know Warhammer Fantasy did we all buy because the story was cool? How much yeah. 40k do we buy because the story is cool? I don't buy 40k because I think the game's fantastic. I buy 40k because. Yeah. You know, I'm currently listening to, you know, uh, the Siege of Terror series and oh, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult one to answer because I don't want to give too much away, but it is, I will say this, specifically the Death Fields game is something that's always on our radar, but it's it's so far from being perfect. And I know not everything has to be perfect before you put it out, but that's a project that we would love to be or any rule set that we create ever in the future we want it to be perfect before it goes out um we want to play to hell out of it we want to decide what the actual reason for it existing is because we don't want the reason to be to make you know, money it sells more models yeah yeah mm. the, 
that should be a byproduct. You know, that should be a byproduct of popularity and a good system. But it, it's not the goal. The goal is to you know engage people, have fun, um, all of that cool stuff. We want it to be an interesting mechanics game. We want it to be you know um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intuitive. Um, we don't want it to be bloated. We want it to be simple, but also it's kind of like finding that balance of you know yeah. easy to learn, difficult to master, which. I think the um, the fantasy flight games do that really well, specifically X Wing and Armada and stuff. But yeah, just to bang out bang it out for the sake of it, I think is totally the wrong decision. And I, I you know I wouldn't hold your breath to any of your listeners to wait for a rule set from us um, because we'd want to do it really really yeah, well. Hundred percent. You want to deliver that you know guaranteed customer satisfaction. And yeah. I suppose one could make the argument that there isn't a perfect rule set out there, but that's no reason to stop trying. No, yeah, look, and it's never going to please everyone, but um, God no, yeah, there's there's no point for us, you know, and I don't know about the the, the how you trademark a rule set or the mechanics and stuff like that. I, I'm not into that legal side of it, but there's no point of us banging out another chain of command that's you know feels very similar but is a War Games Atlantic spin on it when it already exists. You know, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's it would just be pointless and it would look like a a shameless cash grab and that's really not what our business is yeah, about reskinning is it's not a um it's not a beneficial yeah. practice really yeah and it's i think that's kind of why like a lot of the epic scale fantasy stuff that i've seen hasn't taken off as well as i thought it might like because yeah, i see these Warmaster sort of skinned games and i'm like well the models are fantastic and the detail of the sculpts is so great and there's obviously some very talented people working on this stuff but you know why isn't it exploding and then i you know i the only conclusion i can come to as a kind of rules novice i'm not a rule writer or anything like that is well i guess the rules must just be not brilliant and that's just my you know assumption that's not fact that's just me going well you know mm. it, what's the what's the current one i think it's like a, a fan made, I think it's called Ninth Age, and it does look really cool and interesting and stuff. But there must be a reason why I'm not seeing it played in my local store or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, something like Ninth Age. I'm fairly certain that came out of it. Essentially, the, came out because the, of the end times. End times. Yeah, there end... were a, that huge commu- uh, community split when. Age of Sigma came yeah. about and Warhammer Fantasy was done away with. I think, you know, something like that, I think part of the lack of visibility yeah. is because there is no official endorsement in terms of Games Workshop saying, hey, this is our actual system, but by the way, you can also do this. Yeah, um, yeah, Ninth Age did come out of the uh, the end times and the end of the old world. Um, stuff, unfortunately, because um, uh, I was huge into um, Warhammer Fantasy up until Age of Sigma, and um, yeah, it was the end times was such a huge event. It got so many people playing, and then out of the blue, it just ended, and that was it. And I think uh, yeah, Ninth Age was a bit of a reaction to people that weren't happy with uh, mm. the way it went. Yeah, and look, yeah. I, I was never a Warhammer Fantasy player, so maybe that's why I don't, you know, see as much of this rank-and-file stuff as I, you know, perceptually would like to see. But I'm excited yeah. for when they re-release it, you know. I'll be able to try it as a complete newbie. Um, yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, no, rank-and-file games are always, you know... Are, the two times that I've been to CanCon, um, 
walking past the Napoleonics and the American Civil War guys. Those tables look absolutely incredible. It's amazing to look at, isn't it? Even from 20, 30 metres away, you can pick them straight out. And they absolutely I don't know whether it's... I think it's probably because I've sunken like a thousand hours into Rome Total War, but whenever I see like Romans yeah. versus someone, I'm like, that is the coolest thing I've seen yeah. to date. <laughs> um, yeah. You can't go wrong yeah. with a bit of good a good bit of Rome Total War. Yeah. Um, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of it. Look, Carl, thank you so much for coming on. And a huge thanks right. to you and Vince and Hudson and the rest of the team for all the support that you've put into the community over the last two years. And for no, all the giving me. Tristan and myself for CanCon 2023, cool. absolutely phenomenal to have you on board as a sponsor. No, mate, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, it's been great chatting to you. Happy to support the event. You know, I hope everybody likes the stuff that's in their goodie bags and the prizes and stuff. So, yeah, you know, we look forward to hearing how that goes. And if you need anything in the future, just let us know. Oh, we definitely will. And as soon as we get a sniff of those fins, I can guarantee. Tristan will be knocking on your door going, Finn's when? <laughs> Great. Good. Well, I look forward to it. All right. Any, Rubes, any closing remarks from you? No. Just, if you're uh, still here? Yeah, I'm still here. Uh, the internet plays up here with when it rains. Um, <laughs> no, just echoing Hari's words. Thank you so much for coming on, Carl. Um, it's great for not only our listeners, but for me personally to sort of see a bit behind the curtain uh, of what goes on. Um it's uh, been really interesting, uh, especially given that I do really like uh, the War Games Atlantic kits um, that I've, I've had experience with so far. Um, so it's really cool to be able to see how they come about and a bit of uh, the, the mentality, I suppose, behind how they come out. It's fantastic. <clears throat> did I go all digital and drop out on that then? No, yeah, Matt, we, we, we're, we love the fact that people like playing with our kits and customising them and stuff. And, and look, it's always a pleasure to come and talk to you guys. So, again, yeah, I'll just echo what I said before. If you, anything else we can do for you guys or, you know, if you want to let it, please do let us know how CanCon goes because we, we love that stuff and we love oh, to put it in our will, newsletter. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, ha- happy to do it, man. All right. Have a good one. All right. Take care. Thanks, Carl. All right, let's um, come back after uh, a quick message uh, for the rest of the show. War and Peace Games are Australia's best supplier of all your hobby needs, wants, and must-haves. Operating out of Sydney, Ian and the crew boast a large selection of gaming systems, including Bolt Action, Flames of War, Frostgrave, Oathmark, and many more. They also stock an incredible range of hobby supplies, from Army Painter and Vallejo to get your army looking its best for the tabletop. Give the guys a call or check out the amazing range at www.warandpeacegames.com.au. And we are back as we now turn to our Wayward Burger and find out where the hell he's been, what the hell he's been up to, and who the hell he's been rubbing shoulders with, you traitorous bastard. I didn't know I was, you can't call me. They, they, I was, it was any port in a storm. And let me tell you, the, the, the port that I arrived in was jugger flavored. It was good fun. Um, Oh, God, where the fuck do I start with this one? I went to the UK, um, finally. I was meant to go in 2020, but, you know, um, bat, Wuhan, yada, yada, yada. Um, I went down south uh, to see my grandmother while I was down there. I did some pretty cool shit. Um, 
a lot of it was just spending time with my grandmother. You know, she's getting on a bit and um, not doing so well. But while I was down there, I ended up going to the Castletown D-Day Museum, which is on the island of uh, the island of Portland. Um, and for whatever reason, those crazy those crazy uh, wild-eyed lunatics let me get into a let me get inside an M8 Greyhound. They should have known better. They should have known better. Um, I'm surprised I actually voluntarily left the Greyhound. Um, but I'm saying this right now between uh, between the, the like, I mean Garrett's uh, a wall just at the moment. But I'm telling you right now that um, me and Rubes would quite happily fit in the in the turret. No worries at all. Very roomy in there. Although the seats in there are round about the size of a dinner plate, so they will disappear up your ass after a while. That, that's um, an interesting comment because I remember I got I got my ass wedged in a fucking staghound, right? Yeah. And a staghounds a beast. They're great I would big, have, big They're not big yeah. inside. They're not yeah. big inside. <laughs> I would have paid, sneaky. You have no idea how much money I would have paid to see that your little fucking your leather 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 jacket and a fucking a, a Panzer cap just fucking trying to. Like wriggle your way out of that would have been. Well, that's exactly what it, what it was. But I, yeah. I suspect that part of the problem was that it was freezing that day, yeah. so I had a uh, big hoodie and a leather jacket. On, yeah, and you know it's just kind of hard to wiggle around. Yeah, in there. But, but my observation is that um, you know World War Two vehicles are generally a lot smaller than we mentally think that they are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This, this argument that we have about one forty eight versus one fifty six. Right, and that uh, people were a lot, a lot of people were a lot smaller than than they are now. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, particularly the around the the average height the, of infantryman was five foot eight, I think. Uh, yeah, and that that uh, tank tank and air crew had uh, maximum height issues. Uh, yeah, I mean certainly maximum girth issues were not a such of a problem. What <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're trying to say. Um, <laughs> Well, the funny thing was, I jumped in the turret of this thing, and we were like me and this uh, guy who was in the turret with me. He was he worked there. I stood on the back of the thing and played around with a fifty cal. Then the both of us jumped into the turret, and he was moving the thing around. And I just thought, if it was just us and like none of the, I mean, the thing is, like by the time you throw all your kit in there and bags, and you know somebody throws in, you know this, that, and the other, blah, 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 it would fill up quite quickly. But empty, it was quite good. Like you could move around in there quite nicely. You could get up, look around. And th I thought to myself, it's not too bad in here. Now, I then looked at the drivers, the drivers come up into the co-driver, and he looked at me and he said, you don't stand a chance. For one thing, I think that he was like referring to the fact that I'm just too fat, but also I'm six foot one. There's no way I'm getting in there. So, yeah, it's one of those things where it's just like, it's... So far as being in the turret, it wasn't too bad. If you want to get into the yeah the driver's compartment, yeah, you had to be a so you know a little bloke. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, if anybody is in the area, I highly recommend going down to Castletown because they've like everything down there. Just about everything is interactive. Uh, they've got an M16 MGMC. They've got the meat chopper. Uh, they've got a Bofors. Um, I put some photos up. They've got like a bazooka that you can play with. A 30 cal on the back of a jeep that you can jump on and fuck around with. Um, Garand, an M1 carbine, um, a Thompson submachine gun. And then they got this like mock up German bunker and they got like, you know, MP40s and car 98s. And yeah, it, it was just, it was just amazing. It was the kid in a candy store, like genuinely fucking good. Um, so after seven days, uh, I packed up my little flat, um, said goodbye to Portland and drove north. Um, I did actually go to Jeremy Clarkson's farm. 
which was a lot of fun. Uh, bought some produce there, and then I went north to the uh, to Leicester, and yeah, knocked on Petey Boy's door, and um, it was amazing because like as soon as Pete opens the door, it's just like I'm looking at Pete, and we've been talking like I've been talking to Pete for years. But then it's like, I'm, you're here, I'm here, you're wow, and then gave a big hug, and then we had a really good catch up, and it was just really nice. And then yeah, like like an hour later, we were in the car. We went down to like one of their one of their local gaming stores. Um, Toph was in there, um, and I walked in and I'm like, "Holy crap!" Like, I mean, don't me wrong, I love um, places like House of War, but they get like the the range in this place. And this was a whole like not a particularly big place, but yeah, their range for Warlord stuff was great. Like, I was just like, "Holy crap!" You buy a whole fucking army here, and you wouldn't break a sweat. And like, it was just great. So, um, yeah, I played. Toth, he ran his French at me and absolutely fingered me. And then I played uh, Petey Boy and pulled a draw out of Pete. Um, and then we went down to the Kirby Muxlow Church. We set the tables up for the weekend. Um, and then we went and uh, we had pizza. Then went home, got some sleep, woke up the next day, went to McDonald's. I had an argument with the people at McDonald's because they wouldn't sell me anything with uh, lettuce or tomato on it. Um, I wanted a BLT with cheese, and they would not. Like I was putting down some of my best work. Like I was, I was flirting hard. And if you're in England, you can sort of th- you can really ham up the Australian accent. Like, g'day, love, how you doing? Yeah, just had a very long flight getting up here, and uh, you know, I know you've got some lettuce and tomato at the back, and I just wonder if you could just per chance just sell a little bit to me. But no, not a fucking thing. <sighs> they saw yeah, me coming. Notorious salad dodgers. It's rubbish. Like the funny thing is, if you go to most places in the world now, go to Mickey D's, you can get a quarter pounder any time of the day. But England still operates on the no, you can get breakfast stuff at breakfast, and then you know the past. So, you, so you had the whole like falling down like Michael oh. Douglas shit. Yeah, well, no, nah, not quite <laughs> that bad because I was at, I was there very early in the morning. Um, Anyway, so yeah, I went to the event. Uh, the event was spectacular. Like it was so much fun. For you know, I mean, those guys, uh, you know, they're quite happy to tell you they're competitive war gamers. I had a game against Sheffy, uh, which was a heck of a lot of fun. Sheffy's been on the podcast. Um, it was so good to finally kind of just meet these guys and just and then just be able to play against them. So yeah, Sheffy and I had a really good game, um, and that game came down to one dice out of the bag like a single dice decided the entire fate of that game um basically he had a, a house uh double story in the upstairs story he had a, a sniper and the downstairs story he had a, a large squad and he had seven dice in the bag the squad had not activated and i had three dice in the bag i mean it was like i think i had it was a truck and it was a squad of engineers and i think a squad of fj i think Anyway, so I'm rooting around thinking I want all his dice out of the bag because I don't want to activate yet. I want him to kind of, you know, run through a few of his activations and hopefully I can, you know, and of course I pull out one of my fucking dice. You know, massive dice superiority in Sheffy's favor and I pull out one of mine. I think, well, fuck it. I've just got to bring the truck on and hope for the best. Roll to bring it on. Truck comes on, drives up to this house that they're staying in unloads i think i put a pin on didn't kill anybody and at that stage i'm like well this is it as soon as he gets the next dice that squad opens up shoots the truck truck blows up i'm going to lose two squads out of this and it's going to be fucking horrible root ran in the dice bag and all of a sudden i pull my dice out 
and at that point uh, the whole game just swung around because the yeah the engineers got out flamed the building got the hit um destroyed that squad completely um and then yeah at that stage he couldn't really react to me in any kind of meaningful way and then i watched the, this entire flank collapsed he put up a really good fight but yeah the game sort of, sort of swung back my way um second game was against moody he's one of the guys on discord a lot uh superb bloke apparently if you go to any event in um england moody will generally be there um i don't think i really beat moody moody beat himself he had a duck he had a daca stewart he had rangers and he had a duck that he had a i think it was a flamethrower and a bazooka in and um he essentially, he bought this duck in from outflank and there was only enough room between the edge of the board and this building. So like the duck came in, did a right hand like power slide and then just wedged itself between the, you know, this board edge and the building. And at that point, I'm like, well, if that flamer gets out or that bazooka gets out because my triple two's there, like both of them are fucking cooked. So instead of letting him do that, I just put a Schutzen squad like right in front of the truck, an inch away from it. And basically he couldn't get anything out because he couldn't, there was no room to maneuver. Um, and at that stage, that was that was maybe a bit of a pivot point in that game, and then I was able to kind of push the things around. I, I pulled a minor win out of that. Um, third game was against um, Jagarant. Um, and if you're listening, uh, thank you for an amazing game, because that was a lot of fun. That was the one where we played Penetrating Attack, where we go from the, uh, the long board edge, or the short board edge, sorry. Um, I'll have to show you guys how that game, how that uh, mission works sometimes, because I actually think that that's a, a cracking mission. We should probably play that one more frequently. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, by the time we finished that game, I think I had like three three units in his deployment. He had one in mine. He only had three things left. And that was another one where just a couple of things went wrong for him and I was able to capitalize. But we beat the shit out of each other. Um, and then game four, uh, it was myself and Paul Walker and uh we were both on like we both had like you know we were both had the top score so it was top table uh paul had um two tokarevs which are the uh, quad maxim trucks he had a ba20 which is an armor 7 uh vehicle flamethrower it was an atr a commissar and just shitloads of infantry and a lot of the infantry had like uh you know uh, panzerfausts and it was it was a really tuned up list it was it was proper good um I'm pretty proud that I was able to take it all the way to like turn five, but you know me being me in the most classic sense, I didn't actually read the uh, the mission parameters. I assumed something that uh, got me killed. I thought it was a mission that the juggernauts have written where from turn three, if you're on an objective, you're scoring points, and so my whole thing was get up onto the objectives as quickly as possible, hold him off, and then from turn three, hopefully I can score enough that by the time he kicks me off in turn five, that I'm still alive enough that. And he said, Dan came by and he said, no, mate, you, you know, it's at the end of the game. And I'm thinking, I'm already up on these points. I'm fucked. Like, he's just, it's, it's, it's over for me. But I was able to kind of, you know, get petty, hold it off. And yeah, I pulled out a fourth overall, um, which was good. Uh, third place, I was third axis, but I picked up a painting award over there, which I was dead happy with. I was really, really proud of that. It was good. Um, done. Yeah, thank you very much. So the story at this point gets interesting. So we had um I spent Sunday at Tof's place, he put on a roast meal, that was great. Uh and then on Monday, Tof, Pete and myself went to Warlord and had a private tour with Marcus and we got to meet uh, some of the employees there. 
Um, I doubt that she listens, but it's uh, Rachel in the resin casting department. Um, she is a treasure that needs to be protected at all costs because she is amazing. Uh, just listening to her dedication and her um, just the just the the pride that she puts into her job, and listening to how she actually goes through, you know, doing what she does uh, was amazing. It was so good. Um, and then meeting the guys who do the metal casting and also the plastic injector molding, uh, fascinating, fascinating individuals. Um, a lot of time for those guys. Uh, the stuff that they do is just amazing. And then we got to sort of walk around the sh the, uh, the warehouse, at which point I just started grabbing things off shelves like a fucking idiot. Um, oh, you laugh. I'm doing it. I've got, I've got the fucking box. There's a box of shit here somewhere that I've, yeah. Um, you know, stuff that's difficult to get in this country. Um, I just kind of went nuts. Um, had a really good catch up with Marcus. Uh, and then, yeah, I think about 11, 11, 15, we kind of knocked it on the head. This is where things get really interesting. So you good old mate Tristan here jumps in the car at 11.30. Jumps onto the M1, drives back down to Heathrow. Now, at one stage there, I did get the car up to 100 mile an hour, which is 160 kilometers an hour, and I still had people overtaking me. It was fucking insane. I got to Heathrow at 2.30. Now, I'm not familiar with Heathrow. I've only been there a couple of times. And the other thing was, like, you know, I, had, I was taking a car back, and I'm like, that can be fucking difficult. Plus, I had a charged-up laptop. I had a good book, and I thought, I don't mind sitting in an airport for a few hours and just, you know, quietly reading my book and having fun. At 3 o'clock, I finally roll into the terminal and think, right, I'm going to check in. Walk over to the self-check-in, open my fucking bag, and realize I've left my passport in Portland which is four hours south, and I don't have a car. So what I then experienced was sheer terror coupled with uh, a panic attack that made me, like I had trouble breathing. Like I was completely, like I was like, at one stage I was walking around just going, well, I get this. I guess this is it. I just live in England now. That's I can't get home. Like It was fucking horrible. I walked up to the woman at the Emirates desk and said, you know, oh my God, I, I haven't got a passport. How the hell am I getting out of here? And she said, you'll have to speak to the consulate. I can't, I can't help you. So luckily, my grandmother, who was an absolute saint, um, organized a taxi cab to go to my Airbnb, pick up my passport, which I knew exactly where it was. He threw it in the car and brought it up to me, and I was able to board my plane on time. Um, I will never make that mistake again. It was fucking horrible. And uh, the time when we, we were on tour, we had something like that happen, but it was in South Korea. So nobody spoke <laughs> English. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that about North Korea, Sneaky. I'm like, well, what were, well, what were you guys doing in North Korea? Oh, we can't talk about that. No. To be honest, Sneaky could go to North Korea and it still wouldn't be the weirdest thing that he'd do on tour. Oh, <laughs> if you're right, but, Sneaky would yeah. look good in that outfit, though, that Kim Jong-il outfit. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm packing it on just enough to be a, a wealthy <laughs> South Korean dictator. <laughs> he, smoked, he smokes more than you, though. That's so true. what happened? What happened in your case? Who was it? Was it yeah, you? Uh, was it? No, no. It was a. It was a idiot drummer, and uh, he. Oh, is that the wizard? His, yeah, the wizard. Uh, he left his passport on the on the desk as as we were coming in, and yeah. uh, just was so discombobulated because I think he'd taken a bunch of Valium to help him sleep on the plane. He was just out of yeah. it, um, and walked off and left his passport there. And we got to the hotel, and then he he realized that he didn't have it, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, eventually, we we managed to get the people from the hotel to call the airport, and 
and it was all okay and we just picked it up in the morning but um he turned an interesting shade of kind of greeny white oh yeah during this this time when i was telling him well no we're just leaving you here man <laughs> you're a gun sneaky that's amazing <laughs> well no i would have because look i had tickets for for all of europe i'm like even if we can't play the gigs well i'm going for a holiday fuck you yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fucking you can make your own way home yeah then there was the time our, our drummer got uh arrested and uh deported from america uh, a guitarist actually uh that was that, that was fun jesus man yeah, so we we actually had to go through that whole thing of consular assistance for, for him. How long uh, did that take to get consular assistance? Is that a quick process, or is that like uh, that takes a while? No, he, he he stayed in prison for a month. What? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it was Christmas time, and uh, it it just took he spent ages. He, he spent, he, what you spent Christmas in Gitmo? Uh, it was it was uh, it was in Texas. Oh. He, yeah, don't fuck with Texas. Did you get his butthole fingered or anything? <laughs> oh, Probably no, he actually know. made friends with all the Mexican gangbangers ah. in the in the prison. That's, That's yeah, amazing. It's funny. Oh. Uh, no, it just, it just, yeah, he knew that all that would happen was that they would send him home. It just took so long to process all of the, the, the documentation. Anyway, yeah, it's it a would. digression point, getting off topic there. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, so yeah, basically that was, uh, that was, that was my moment of fucking terror. Um, luckily, um, yeah, like I said, my grandmother's a fucking saint, so she sorted that out. But funny thing was I actually called my wife as I was sitting in the departure lounge and it was, you know, very early in the morning where she was, she woke, you know, I woke her up and she's like, Oh, hi. And I answered the phone with, I want you to know that everything is all right now, but I've had a bit of a day. <laughs> <laughs> And she followed it up, like after I told her the story, she followed up with like, yeah, well, you made the right decision not calling me. It's like, well, why the fuck would I call you? You can't do anything from where you are. But yeah, that was, it was horrible. It was horrible. And then, you know, you spoke, like I spoke, I spoke to my brother Robin about it. And Robin's like, you know, oh, well, why would you leave that there? I'm like, oh, well, you know, just because it was funny, because it amused me. Like, why did I leave it there? I fucking forgot it, didn't I? Horrible. Never again. Never, ever, ever again. One day soon, we'll all be microchips like your cat, so we can just go through the thing with your uh, just biometric scanning. Yeah, I look forward to that because it means I wanted to fucking carry my, you know, my I mean, passport anymore. Funnily enough, one of the guys in one of the young blokes in Mullen went to Mullen High. He actually did that, or tried to do that with his debit card. He got the, mm. he implanted the chip in his hand. He said it was working fine right up until the point that he got struck by lightning, and then it just never worked again. <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing to get struck by lightning i didn't ask i di i couldn't stop laughing at that he, point like offended the gods or something apparently yeah. i mean he must have pissed off odin because i guess if you piss off zeus you get something entirely different that's brilliant yeah. that's fucking great um so yeah that was that was uh that was my adventure uh amazing trip to england but i would um if anybody from the UK is listening, I would highly recommend you go and check out um, the Juggernauts events. Um, they are properly good, uh, very, very well run, very, um, very, uh, very clean. Clean is a weird word. Uh, they're just they're very tidy, very sharp. Like there's 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 four guys who runs it who run it on the day, um, and having four tos. You know, Pete was running admin. Uh, Dan and Toph were you know a combination of Dan, Toph, or Spurley. We're just sort of walking around answering questions and whatnot. Um, 
while you know the the alternate you know played the Gumby. But um, Hari, I'm, I'm putting it to you right now that the Gumby list that we put together for CanCon, if we need to run a Gumby list, we should run it uh, Juggernaut rules. Juggernaut rules. You are not allowed to. You're not allowed to go down. Yeah. On, you know. You know. You're not allowed to go down on purpose. Yeah. Uh, you cannot rally. Okay. Uh, you either have to shoot or advance. I don't think you can run. Um, there was something else. You can't recce. Hmm. It, everything is about moving forward and shooting, and just you know, it's it's just it. Yeah, it's 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 like playing hard mode. But I reckon I'll that, double um, down on that and build a Gumby list with a mouse and a horde of inexperienced crap. We do that. Mm. Or do two tigers? How about we do two tigers? Two tigers and four scores of Schutzen. Plus nice. Maybe we Mouse. Do that. Two IS3s. Mouse. To ch to chanker. That's a chanker. I like it. Well, we don't allow armor platoons. Yeah, can't do it, Rubes. It's an illegal. Yeah, rules. I like it. I like it. I like all your heads at, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it, uh, the, the one thing I would say to you is that so far as um, the demographic at that event, uh, they had, it was the usual sort of, uh, you know, cr crowd of miscreants. Um, it was really good finally meeting, be able to meet people like uh, Tony and Owen and Moody. Uh, but the one thing I did like, um, there was a girl there called Tamara who's quite young. Uh, from what I'm given to understand, um, her father was a war gamer who was, I don't believe he's with us any longer. And she does it as a way to sort of remain being close to him, which I think is fucking fantastic. Mm. Um, she is a really good war gamer. I was talking to uh, Dan, who I think played her. And she did really well on the day. I think she won two of the awards. She won the Sniper Award, and she also... I think she pinned out a Tiger. Get your fucking head around that. With anti-tank grenades, she pinned out a Tiger. Everybody... So we've got three cameras running. Everybody just gave me this look with raised eyebrows. And yes, she pinned out a Tiger. So, um, Tamara, if you are listening, I hope you are, uh, enjoy, because they will write songs about you for doing that. It's fucking amazing. So well done. So yeah, Damn. England, ten out of ten. Would definitely recommend right up to the point where you leave your passport, um, you know, in the south of England. That's not getting forgotten anytime soon. Nope, nope. I can still. I'm actually just just recounting the story. It gave me like a, a little sort of, oh god. Because <laughs> what's even worse is like when I I was like I flew out Monday night and then Wednesday morning, Australia time. I flew in. I think I touched down at six a.m. I cleared customs. I was out. I was out of the airport by seven, and then I walked across the road because my wife stayed at the Park Royal Hotel across the road from the from the airport. So if I miss my flight, well, that that booking is up the shit. I'm going to buy, you know, to get new flights. It was just, it was awful. Never again. Never do I want to go through that ever again. So on Less to better one. things. Yeah, hundred percent. Sneaky, this is your baby. Yeah. All right. So what we're going to talk about now is uh, a little bit more of a meta question. And uh, it's, it's about, I guess, how do we, how do you uh, get people who aren't uh, familiar with historical gaming as, as a sort of concept, uh, you yeah, know, to, to come, come and play? Um, so part of it is about, I guess, uh, understanding what are people's objections and how do you overcome them? And some of them, I have to say, after spending some time looking at uh, people writing about this on the internet, they're fucking strange. 
Um, and my my initial um, uh, point is, it's actually easier to get somebody who's into history to come and but hasn't played a tabletop game to to come and play than it would be for someone who's deeply embedded in the the GW infrastructure. Uh, even though Bolt Action as a as a game is kind of very forgiving about moving across because the a lot of the concepts about the turn structure and the the armor saves and the list building and whatever are are the same um and some of that is just about the way that uh games workshop has sort of built itself you know that they they pitch it as the games workshop hobby rather than the wargaming hobby right and uh, to the very best of my knowledge no other gaming company tries to do that you know everyone else is very much like uh yeah cool that there are other games out there we know that um it, it for example it was it was always a thing that you would buy your your rule sets separately from your miniatures uh and you, you know you could buy miniatures from lots of different places um part of the criticism uh historically was that that makes it very hard to know what it is that you should be buying um, and I think Warlord did a did a great job of overcoming that by saying, "Here is a starter set with a rule book and two armies that are ready to go right out of the the box." Uh, so that that's one thing. But um, there are some other really strange objections that I, I've heard there, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that history is a lot more politicized right now than than I think it has been for for quite a while. Um, and some of the people I've talked to about this as I've been floating around different groups on Facebook and Reddit and various social media stuff are like, oh my God, anybody who's playing with with uh, with World War II Germans on the table must be supporting that. It's like, fucking stupid. <laughs> um, the, answer, the answer to that question, Sneaky, is yes, they are. Well, yes, I, I think so. Um, but I think that's that's coming from a place, particularly in America right now, where you know you can get yourself in a lot of trouble um, by by being seen to be on the wrong side of this this divide. Mm. You know, I, I think that's a that's a very real thing, and um, that's you won't see the fact that we are complete. Well, relatively normal people. I won't say completely normal people. I don't know you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. You can't say that with any credibility. Yeah. There's nothing remotely normal about any of us. Yeah. yeah. Have you met Rubes? <laughs> well, but compared to <laughs> compared to what it seems like that they are they are expecting to see. Yeah. Right. That they they're expecting to see if you're playing, yeah, you know, a Second World War game that you you are inhabiting your character the same way that you are as if you're playing space marines and go emperor <laughs> whoa the orcs or, or, or whatnot we're, we're not there going sig hail right? come on we're yeah. not that stupid and depends and, what day of the week it is at work yeah you know what i mean like that that's that's not something that happens it's something that happens in their head that they project onto onto historical games um I, I think that that's that's kind of odd, um, and that's why I kind of say that you you might well find that you're that people that you know who are interested in history, but not interested in 
the tabletop gaming culture are perhaps more more um, amenable to to the idea mm. of hey here's here's a game that we that we play you know what all these things are um, mm. rather than some part of it's also sunk cost fallacy you know um, people who play a lot of games that are um, dependent on a particular intellectual property um, so. Infinity, uh, War Machine, Hordes, whatever, right? You can buy a whole lot of stuff and get really invested in that game. And then uh, an edition change comes out or the company goes bust and you've got a sunk cost problem yeah. there, right? So so I think people are a little bit gun-shy about that unless they've been involved in historical gaming to the point where they've realised you're not playing a rule set, you're playing a time period. Yep. And that's that's a really important distinction, right? You, you could have a great big um, horde of uh, 5th century Greek hotlights, right? You can, there, there are 25 different rule sets you could be playing that with. Uh, and if one rule set goes out of fashion or it stops being supported or whatever, cool, you just get another one. That, that, mm. that collection of miniatures lasts you your, your lifetime. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. But that's not something that that people who are accustomed to playing games that are really hitched to an intellectual property get. I reckon. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so part of that is 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 overcoming that objection. Um, yeah. Um, some of it is is about the the way that history is is the object the objections that I've I've heard anyway are. are a really good one I heard was, I don't want my fun time to be some guy's worst day ever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, mm. That one with- That one does kind of hit a little bit close. Just, yeah. Interestingly enough. Um like I've worked I've, for I've I've worked for people within the Jewish community who have showed me like tattoos mm. and let me tell you that that's that's a hard yeah. that's a hard yeah. thing to look at it really that's is good. i mean look I, I i used to uh the company i used to work for hosted all the documents for the shower foundation it's like look mm. i i'm not i'm not flippant with with history mm. and uh that's that's an important thing as well look look i mean bolt action is is i think the the way that its presentation works, we we've always said is is the the Holly, Hollywood version or the the sixties uh, British film, yeah, um, interpretation of it, and that that is what it is. But um, you know, you don't disrespect the 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 context. Mm. You know, um, so the, these are some ob- objections that I that I've heard, and I think there's a lot of people that are so. I mean, guys that will argue chapter and verse about which Space Marine chapter is is more left-wing than another one, you're not going to convince them to play a historical game of any any stamp because they're, they're, that's a lost cause, you know. Um, but your mate who, who, who's who been watching a bunch of... And, you know, um, one of the other objections I've heard is everyone's old. <laughs> you know, the historical games are an old person's yeah um, i mean yeah we all look so very ancient and wizened 
This beard's coming in good. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, I don't think that's that's the case. With, certainly with uh, with with bolt action, it, it is the case with uh, the you know DBA DBX fifteen millimeter rank and flank um, ancients. Yeah, okay, mm. that's a, that's an old guy's game. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, black powder is accessible. Except the the fact you need to paint a million figures. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's always been a turn off for black powder. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is. It is a great big game, but it's. I mean, look, you should have seen the size of this game of Hail Caesar. I, I was looking at this afternoon. Fucking hell, we we were talking to ourselves. Saying, how how long would it take to paint up all of this stuff? But then you go, well, look, but it's six players whole collection on the table at once so uh, it's mm. a, an, an enormous spectacle um so anyway but my, my my point with this such as it is is that um you will have to overcome the sunk cost fallacy uh if you're trying to convince people who are really into other game systems to give it a shot yeah. um you know um that's that's a hard one uh because people are going look my my Finances are limited. My painting time is limited. Uh, my ability to digest a new rule set has has its limitations. Um, but taking your your two two of your own armies down and saying, "Look, just give it a go." Uh, that's that's one good way to do it. Uh, if you have a club environment, right? Another element I think that that is difficult, um, not so much for us here because we don't we don't really have this idea about playing in shops, stores, no. as the Americans say. But uh, in that that American context, right? Um, no one is going to encourage you to play games in their store that they don't carry the stock for, mm. because why would you advertise something that you don't sell? Yeah, you can't. Mm. Yeah, you can't profit off of it. Yeah. So that 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 is inherently a difficult thing, and that that uh, games rise and fall based on what the um, uh, the the local store is is willing to carry the stock. Agreed, and that is a massive hurdle. Like, little off topic, but working in retail in Mullumbimby, you'd be surprised how many crackpot ideas we have waltz through the door that people try and convince us we should sell. Mm-hmm. Now trying to convince a standard grocery store that they should sell crushed grasshopper protein bars, it's difficult. Trying to convince a local gaming store that, hey, this is a game that I like, you should carry the stock. Well, how do you guarantee that store owner is going to have a turnover on those products? Yeah, well, well you then, there, there's there's all sorts of other issues. I mean, you look at um, House of War carries bolt action, but they don't carry a heck of a lot of bolt action. Um, and there's like numerous reasons for that. You know, some like you know, they've, I remember a, a while ago we went in there for an event and they were selling all of it off. You know, very very cheaply. Um, well, I, I now work uh, just up the street from Mind Games in Hawthorne. Oh yeah, um, they don't even carry Vallejo paint anymore. That's all uh, board game, ninety percent board games, um, yeah. with a little bit of GW and Marvel Crisis Protocol stuff and they have a tiny little shelf of uh citadel paints that's it um the the shop in the city is a is a write-off um you know they they moved out of that that old 
shop on Swanson Street down the road. Um, I remember that, yeah. Paint selection's still all right, but they they liquidated all of their all of their historicals, right? So retail's obviously under pressure to uh, demonstrate a return per square foot um, of the shop. And look, I, I used to manage a bookshop at one time, and people would come in and say, "Hey, do you want to stock my self-published book?" And I would say, "Every week that that sits on the shelf um, unsold, that's costing me money." Yeah, I've I've got to turn this shit over. It's it's not doing anyone any good, just sitting there for the sake of completism, right? Uh, but that, yep. yeah, that's that's a really a really hard one for that that environment. You know, uh, it's much easier, I think, in a club environment just to do demo games and and uh, show people what what it's about. Yeah, uh, particularly if you have if you have two armies. Um, yeah. So anyway, my as I say, my uh, my thesis with with this is that it's actually easier to get uh, people who are um, World War Two history enthusiasts, but might not necessarily be gamers, to pick something up completely fresh, than it is to get somebody who is um, <clears throat> heavily invested in other game systems to pick up yet another one. I <laughs> I agree with you to an extent, but you you need like I'm I'm going to coin the term the magic triangle. You need the magic triangle. You need somebody who has um, you know a vested, well not even a vested, it's just just a, an interest in World War Two. You then need them to be interested in actually picking up and learning a war game because I mean my dad is fascinated in World War Two. He has no interest in being a war gamer. He has two sides of the triangle. The other side is income. They need some sort some form of disposable income. Now, my dad meets two of those. He doesn't meet the three. Is you need three sides of that triangle to create a, a potential war gamer, and you can have any combination of them, but you need the three. Like you know, you miss one of those one of those bits, forget mm. about it. If they're not into World War Two, well, fair enough. They might be a war gamer with disposable income. They may end up shooting off to forty k or you know something like that. But yeah, I it's, think it's, it's a square, Chris. Sorry, I think it's a square. You need that time. Yeah, time is yeah, definitely a factor. Yeah, I, I, I think time is time is less important because I mean, you, there, there are ways there are ways to mitigate that. You can have other people paint your shit. Well, you can buy it, paint it already. As a priority, then, if you've got X Y Z game systems already in the lineup, or you've been dying to play this board game, or your kids, or whatever is you know taking precedence. I, I I would basically all of that stuff there, plus you know the time, plus the this that. I would fold that into being a war gamer sure. yeah there's also the question of critical mass about who is playing in your area right the, mm. that the i that, would say is the, hang on hang on hang on just hang on hang on yeah. rube sorry go so i've got a counterpoint so that discussion there revolves around creating a for want of better terms a self-sufficient war gamer war gamer who's going to provide their own armies going to provide you know paint their own troops whatever the case may be so, for example, my niece. Um, I knew you were gonna. I knew a debt was gonna come up in this. I've basically supplied every army she's used. Now she does have some of her own miniatures, which I've given her mm -hmm. for Christmas and birthdays and that. Um, she is what I would, again, for want of a better term, would would uh, term a not self-sufficient war gamer. So mm -hmm. she relies on me to provide the terrain, the games and stuff, but she provides the enthusiasm. Now, she's a, I suppose, more of a casual gamer as in uh, she's not gaming every week. 
she's not um, drooling over the latest releases from whatever company. Um, but she loves to game, and every time I show her something I've painted, or say, hey, this is something new that we can use, the enthusiasm is there. So what's that? That's created a, a, a non-sufficient wargamer, but she's becoming a wargamer. She loves to Yeah, game. but you've yeah. got... That, that's you've an got, interesting you, one. Re- yeah. re- like my, my brother was in the, the same boat. When, when we lived together, um, yeah, he would come to 40K tournaments with me and use, use one of my secondary armies. Um, yeah, we we play. We used to play the the Melbourne forty k tournament scene together all the time. Uh, but as soon as I got married and moved out, um, I don't think he's played a game ever since. Yeah, so it was one of those things that he was happy to piggyback off, but didn't have the energy or the wherewithal to yeah. to do good, it on his own. Good point, Rubes. Yeah, but see, so like in high school, I got into forty k as a young teenager. Got a lot of mates into it as well um mm-hmm. going through high school and i took a strong interest to warhammer now a lot of my mates thought oh yeah that's really cool but again um i suppose it does come back to a bit of your your hierarchy of uh, you know time and money and stuff they put their efforts into purely into 40k whereas i branched out and would get warhammer armies and things like because i was playing a lot of dungeons and dragons and stuff like that at the same time but we'd still play warhammer um they'd still come around i'd supply the armies but then I only I had my own 40k army as well, so um, I'd created war gamers who were sp- specifically um, collected one system, but were quite happy to branch out and all right, if yeah, if you supply um, the miniatures, yeah, I'll be there and get, and, and play it. Um, uh, now, now that I actually think about it, I think yeah, I, I mean, I myself am an uh, am an example. Where when Garrett first bought this to me, I had two sides of the triangle. I had an interest in World War Two, and I had some money. I wasn't a war gamer. Garrett created that other part. Whereas what Rubes is suggesting is Rubes is hundred percent of this. Whether I've 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 made no secret of that. We know this. But yeah, it's one of those things where if you look at it, like I mean, Rubes has described it perfectly. But like with her debt, um, is. Right now, she has two sides of that triangle. She has, you know, the interest. She also has, like, the Wargamer. Like, Rubes is providing her with that third side. So, certainly, she is, she, she, you know, qualifies as the triangle, but Rubes is providing one of those sides for her. If Rubes took that away, she would likely no longer continue, or she would continue in, in a very reduced capacity. Another, another thing that, that strikes me that, that's interesting about this, right, is... If you think what you were like when you were, I don't know, 15, 20, whatever, right? Someone who was 40 or 45, that was your dad or your uncle. That was someone oh, really word, fucking yeah. old. Yeah. That was someone really fucking old. You didn't, you, uh, you went out of your way to shut them out of things that you were doing. You're not, and you're you not doing, you, you're, you're not doing a good job making me feel less old, by the way, Sneaky. You're making oh, me feel very old, old right I'm now. Old, I'm older than you. I'm older than all of you. I'll buy a fucking, buy a bee's dick. <laughs> a little, but, yeah. <laughs> but people I play with are much older than me, 20 years older than Yeah, it's true. But, Peter Conflict and that's the thing, that. Yeah, yeah. But that's something that you stop thinking about when you're probably about 30. You know, th- mm. that idea that old people are weird. Um, yeah. It, it stops yeah. being a thing when you're about 20, <laughs> 25 ish, you know, right. But I think oh, it's, people. it's a really big thing about why, um, fantasy and sci-fi games appeal to a young audience and historicals don't 
um, is that thing about you know tweed jackets and leather leather arm um, elbow patches, smoking you'd look, a pipe. So you'd look good. That would be a good look for you, sneaky. I have one. Yeah, I have. Yeah, of course one. you do. <laughs> yeah, I wore it to my job interview for the job. No, that was. they hired you. It's amazing. Um, but I think that that's that's a legitimately a a a true thing that that people go. Uh, when they're when they're young, go look. I, I don't want to be hanging out with somebody who's going to be lecturing me about the Lorica Mctata of a particular Roman legion or something, and he's like my weird uncle. You know, they, they want to be with with people of their their own age and whatnot. And that um, the the fantasy and science fiction arms of wargaming do a better job at catering to that market. Yeah, because it's a, it's you're not you're not interested. Yeah, I growing up, I ha- I had an interest in in like I was I, I guess that you know as far as forty forty k is concerned. Growing up, I had two sides of the triangle. I just I lacked the third, so therefore I never became a war gamer. So I had an interest in sci fi and I had an interest in being you know a war gamer, but didn't have the money. So I mean that just you know you can't if you if you want to play G Dub, you have got to come up with the fucking the you know the rubber. Yeah, dub. yeah, it's, oh, it's mm. massively expensive. And it's, it's, Hugely expensive. Oh, demented. Um, yeah. It all kind of reminds me of a meme that I saw on Facebook uh, the other week. Of uh, it was like um, the f- uh, all these men they just turned uh, like thirty five or forty, and it's yep. like they're, they're sitting there and like one's gone. Oh, what did you get? He goes, oh, I got French and Indian War, and the other one goes, Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I got yeah. World War One. Another guy's gone like, oh, I've got the, oh, great, I've got the English Civil War. It's like, yeah. There's that, um, there's, a, there's a video that um, Uncle Adam, who's a, actually quite a good YouTuber, a wargaming YouTuber, he did it. It was called, Are You Old Enough to Play Historical Games? <laughs> The other one that I saw is like you know when uh, when a man when a man gets to the you know the age of forty, he either needs to get very into World War Two or very into smoking meat. And I'm like, well, I made my decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? But yeah, I, I I did say that meme you you mentioned, Rubes, because like the last panel is a voice is a little speech bubble coming from like you know like off off panel somewhere. It's like what Falklands War? <laughs> like <laughs> that's fucking classic. It's um. I, it, it, it's a good point, Sneaky, but I mean, I think it's one of those things like, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of anything that changes the overall demographic of our, of our little community. But here's the thing is I don't think it's going to change a heck of a lot because, I mean, like I said, I went to a Juggers event and other than uh, Tamara, um, everyone kind of looks the same way that we do. Um, you know, we're all kind of like of a certain age, of a certain disposition. Yeah, yeah. Shut up, Harry. I can what, see that fucking. I, I can see that. I can see that smug look. All right. What What I did a few years ago, and this was a, a market research thing, was I I took the um, every year the the magazine uh, War War Games Soldiers and Strategy does this this big survey. Right? Yep. Um, and that that's always really really interesting to to look at the results from. Um, but I put out very similar questions to a specifically Australian audience. And they mapped on pretty much identically. Like yeah. the, the uh, you've you've got to realize, okay, it's a self-selecting bias involved in that, um, as with any sort of survey. But uh, I I think it's the same pretty much worldwide. You know, mm. um, and I'd agree. I'd agree. That combination of of interest, time, um, 
But the, the interest factor I wonder about, I wonder, and I wonder about whether that's the way that history is taught and the way that history is very politicized and contentious now in a way that maybe it wasn't 25 years ago when, when many of us were at school. Actually. I mean, it's thinking back to the way history was taught when I was in high school, that's what, two, only three going... Years ago? Yeah, not... Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, two, three years ago, as a joke, I graduated high school in 2008. We never learned about Australia in the Second World War. That was uh, not part of the curriculum. Nope. The only thing yeah. that was shown to us was Gallipoli. That's all it was. Yeah, we got a bit of, like, um, like a lot of ours was like, you know, like, you know, uh, f the formation of government, the Eureka yeah. Stockade. Um, That's it. Like the gold we, fields, the shit that we did yeah. to the, like, you know, the, um, the Chinese on, labor force. It was pretty awful. Yeah. Most of that we touched on a bit of Vietnam. Um, the, emu, the emu war. We got a lot on the emu war. I mean, that was, hey, that we was don't months, talk about months, that. Months. You shut your mouth. <laughs> Just because you bug it off back to the mother country for a couple of weeks, that does not give you the right. Keep your bearded mouth shut. Keep your filthy um, mouth. Keep the emu you know, war out of your mouth. Yeah, we touched a fair bit on the interactions between European settlers and mm. indigenous, indigenous people, but there was nothing that sort of gave anyone a grounding in World War II. No. If, uh, the, if the hang, on, was, hang on, hang on, hang on, well, hang on, hang on. Okay, Dakota. I'm purely speaking on in terms of my education. But you you didn't get anything on Kokoda? Not a damn thing. Really? Okay, that's not that's, a that's, damn that's thing. You didn't Only get the, the treaties. Um, oh, look, look. So my 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 schooling was was different because I, I went to high school in New Zealand, right? And uh, I I did a very advanced stream uh, history um, stuff, like you're all the way way through. But we, we were doing like um, the origins of World War Two and the Treaty of Versailles. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, had all all of the None things of about um, the the formation of the, the origins of the ANZUS Treaty in the fall of Singapore, um, like the and ours that history again is is different because there was an actual full-scale war in New Zealand in the, the 1860s. Mm. So that, that's something that was, was part yeah. of... You had to explain um, the origins of, of that war and its, its implications elsewhere and whatnot. So, yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, the history syllabus covered World War One, the interwar period, cut off at 38, then time-skipped past Korea past the Second World War, and went straight to Vietnam. Yeah. And then so from then on, it steamrolled through the Cold War. So look at what the, the history syllabus, the, the stuff that they have to cover in America, right? And the fact that every state picks its own um, syllabus, right? There's no federal mm. history syllabus. And what a contentious issue the American Civil War is with its, its um, implications for modern-day race relations yeah. and politics and stuff right um do you reckon somebody's gonna go oh yeah i'm gonna do that as a hobby um and and get it like oh yeah i want to paint these little guys with a confederate 
battle flag while these dickheads are shooting up schools with that painted on their guns. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's where I'm coming from with about the the contentiousness and the the um politicization of, of history that I get the feeling that a lot of young people today are literally gun shy about it and not mm. not wanting to be perceived as endorsing uh, a position based on yeah. what they're representing on the tabletop. I mean, I can definitely understand that point of view coming from coming from Americans. Mm. I mean, the land of litigation and the land of right to bear arms or arm bears, whatever the hell you want to do, it's definitely not something you would wade into lightly. Having said that, there is... I mean, there is certainly a wargaming community in the States, but... Oh, yeah, but they're old. They're, I mean, yeah. They are everywhere. I think, you know, I think the youngest members would probably be your age, Tristan's age. I've... I don't think I've ever seen anyone around my age. And, yeah, I mean, fuck, I'm 31. I'm not exactly, you know, a child. But still, I mean, look, I'm sure that they're they're out there in in like mm. uh, fam families that are deeply rooted in military service and and whatever. But yeah, it's, most it's, definitely, it's it's contentious, you know. Uh, the same mm. way that I I don't think that you would get very many World War Two war gamers in Germany. You know, it's 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 just close to the bone in a way that is is yeah. you know, deeply uncomfortable have, for people. I have wondered that often, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, you know what, what that uh, what that particular you know sort of demographic is like is you know is there? It's it's weird because I used to hear things like um like I mean you look at things like um is it uh, uh Space Crusade? Yes, yeah, yeah the yeah. Milton Bradley game. Yeah, apparently when they sold that game in Germany, um, all of the enemies had to be Necrons because you couldn't kill anything living. That's how yeah sensitive oh, you, they were. You, you can't have mm. a um. That they would take the uh, tail swastikas decals out of the out of scale model kits. Yeah, it is actually illegal in Germany for anything um, Nazi related to be displayed, or uh, yeah. unless it's in a historical or educational context. Yeah, yep. yeah. But no one wants no one wants to be that guy, quote unquote. You know that. Yeah, well, I mean, we 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 had it over here. Remember how like the um, the laws changed in regards to displaying the swastika. And everybody was kind of like, oh my god, you know, what's it going to mean for Wargaming? It meant absolutely nothing for Wargaming, yeah, because everybody realizes it's not fanboy lip service. We're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it for, you know, to, to honor the history, you know, to play games, to push soldiers around, pew pew, and all that sort of shit. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, just because somebody runs a German army doesn't mean that they're a Nazi. I mean, if you think that... And, and look, I, I think that, and that's, that's another interesting point about, you know, some of the, the criticisms I, I've, I've seen raised uh look yeah there are a lot of weirdo edgelords out there in in nerd hobbies of, of whichever mm. stamp there are but i think it's a very different thing to to go okay i'm running an africa africa core army and that is the 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 uh markings on the tanks versus going i'm running an orc army and i've painted them all with you know something that looks very much like a nazi uniform yeah like, yeah you, what one is one is like pushing something into something that that doesn't need it, whereas the mm. other one it's it's a sort of natural 
um, historical thing, you know. But, I mean, I saw that in a White Dwarf magazine years ago. Um, someone had done an Imperial Guard army, but they'd modelled the troops quite... <laughs> there was clear German indicators. All the tanks had shirts and added to them. Yeah. I mean, the Commissar had I used to have a... Uh, in Death Corps of Crete. Well, th this is one that now everyone picks on about being the mm. action that, that, oh, this is where the Nazi fanboys go to. And look, um, I will cop to this as being, in today's context, maybe a bit bad taste, but um, I, I painted up the armoured company in German tritone camouflage just because I was interested in seeing if I could do it. Yeah. Because I, I, I was into painting scale models when i was younger i just bought an airbrush and i was like yeah cool can we can we do this i wouldn't do it now um mm. but and i certainly wasn't painting like great big you know look at me i'm a, I'm a yeah alt-right alt <laughs> <Fun, funny thing laughs> it's very much based on world war one and um, it's french it's mm, world yeah. war one france yeah if anything yep. Yeah, because it's an Adrian helmet. The 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 coats with the turnbacks are, yeah, yeah, early war World War One French stuff. But uh, and again, because Americans don't see a lot of the other nations involved in it, they read that uh, visual language as being coded in a, in a particular way. Which is, yeah, look, I mean, it's a weird old uh, turn of events the last decade and. I can understand why people are more looking at things with maybe a more critical eye than they might have done 15 years ago, and I understand mm. that. I understand I mean, that, and it's probably healthy in some ways. I wonder if it was also an unfortunate coincidence in the sense that in terms of heroic scale slash 28 mil scale games, there wasn't really anything bolt action, like, in the style of bolt action on the market. The only major World War II game that I can think of when I was into 40K at the age of like 12, 14 was Flames of War. So you had World War II enthusiasts who weren't necessarily cut out for painting 15 mil and who didn't really want to get into something with the crunch level of version two slash three flames going to 40K and then going, okay, I've got this Orc army or this Imperial Guard army, I want to flavor it World War II style. They just have the misfortune of picking the most one of the most problematic factions mm. yeah, of the war. Absolutely, I, I think I think that's that's probably it. You know, so, um, just on that availability, I'm I'm going old school here. Back in the days of Yahoo groups, there actually was a, um, a World War Two mod fan base base mod for Warhammer 40k and I want to say fourth edition um, which was a and I've still got the list somewhere on a drive somewhere um, and we're is there anything you don't have <laughs> yeah um, we're talking 20 plus years ago um, that was around but and that was about the only sort of real 28 mil sort of stuff I can remember from back then mm. well like Playing it twenty up until up until fairly recently, twenty mil one seventy second was the the go to. So, yeah, um, yep. yeah, games like Crossfire and stuff. Look, they they were they were popular amongst grognards, right? Um, yeah, and look, I, I've got 
archive books that I, I find a lot of, I buy all the uh, War Games Research Group stuff whenever I come across it. And the books look like shit because they're just photocopied in some guy's backyard. But that was the, the state of the art in the early 80s sort of stuff. And they're, they're all designed to be played with 172nd Airfix stuff. Um, you know, and look, that didn't have the visual appeal that that um, one fifty six or twenty eight mil does. The level of detail isn't there. Um, yeah, mm. there was some nice metal stuff done, but th- they were largely games. I think that were in that um, British style club ecosphere. You know, that you would never see them outside of you know your your in your tweed jacket with your pint of real ale and uh, you know playing that on a sunday afternoon at your your club interesting uh it's an interesting topic isn't it the, the thing is though like it's one of those things where i think it's a roundabout kind of discussion where i don't think there's any sort of there's, there's no, no conclusion but you no this is it like we could we could we could discuss this in mm. a roundabout what kind of way for hours I don't really think the listeners kind of want to hear us do that because we would end up repeating ourselves quite a bit. But um, insofar as, you know, like drawing new blood into the game, um, I mean, Brad's, uh, you know, Brad's got a pretty good um, sort of handle on that running, you know, events that are had, you know, that are sort of uh, geared more towards new players, Uh, more power to the guy. Um, Mm. It's kind of one of those things where you go, well, um, if he can make that work, I'm fucking, I'm all there for it. Um, it, it is one of the things you got to find those people to begin with, and then yeah, like I said, you got to hope that they've got two or three sides of the triangle, and if they are missing a side, then is that a side mm. that I can then sort of, you know, provide for you? But yeah, I mean, good topic. part of it I would also say is exposure. Because mm. even insofar as, you know, events running within the community, it's an insular information stream. Well, that's, I mean, I'll, I'll stop you there. This is why it was really good when we had um, uh, Dave Brueggemann and the Demo Gamers. Mm. Um, you want to talk about exposure? I mean, Brueggemann got out there at, you know, most of the big events, set a couple of tables up, and we just grab people as they walk past and say, hey, do you want to play this rule set? And then if they enjoyed it and they were like, yeah, this is actually really good, he'd then funnel them over to, you know, the TO who was running the event on the day. Oh, hey, listen, I just got this. You know, oh, we'll link into this Facebook group. And, you know, there are plenty of people um, within the community who got their start by, you know, you know, r- they just happened to bump into Dave Brueggemann. Um, he's there, done... There's another, another aspect that I think that just occurred to me as well is, like, looking at it from the other side, uh, people who are, you know... Well-established war gamers that play a lot of other systems, but look look at uh, bolt action as being a little bit too beer and pretzels for what they want, yeah. Yeah. and saying, "Yeah, it is all of that." But come to an event, and you'll see this is actually a much more fun game in a tournament setting than yeah, it might yeah. necessarily be if you're trying to shoehorn it into it being yeah, really so- crunchy, you know. Yeah, I've I've had I've I've had demo games for people where, you know, um, you know, uh, Garrett's actually logged off. He's got a very early start in the morning, but Garrett and I went down to a gaming group. I've spoken about this in the past, where we we demoed Bolt Action to try and get some more people interested. And yeah, the, one of the guys there took extreme exception to the fact that um, a player got really lucky and um, knocked out. He used a Sherman to knock out a tiger. 
Mm. Now, the guy rolled sixes straight through. I mean, so there's, you know, you've got to reward him for that. But, you know, he, this bloke just could not handle it. He was like, nah, it wouldn't happen. Nah, nah, it's not historical. It's like, and you kind of want to grab him by the shoulder and say, because it's not historical. It's, it's, it, I mean, it is historical to a sense, but it's also kind of Hollywood. At the end of the day, if nothing on this table could kill a tiger, that's all you would see. Mm. Just German players roll tigers and just win every single game. That's all <laughs> the way it happened. Just mm. calm down and take it at face value. It's just a good, fun game. Yeah. But uh, I, I think that there's a lot of people we could get in from, from that scene if we just accentuate. There's lots of players. It's, it's a fun, quick, um, enjoyable rule set that you yeah. don't have to, to spend ages and ages setting everything up. And, and No. Also, there's no codex creep. I mean, yeah. I, look, if, it seems to be a badly kept secret at the moment, so I think we're going to see V3 at some stage. Um, I don't know when that'll happen. Uh, I did go to Warlord, and Toph and I did spend a lot, a, lot of the, a lot of the time on the tour just looking in odd places going, V3? 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 Um, but yeah, it, like they, for whatever reason, V2 was not a particularly well-kept secret. V3, they seem to learn their lesson. And everyone's keeping doom at the moment. So, but yeah, other than you know a rules update every you know sort of what five or six years, it's yeah. very you can manage that quite nicely. If you want to get really into the campaign books and this that and the other, brilliant, do that. But you are correct. This is a relatively forgiving um, game to play. You know, if you get in and buy one of the starter boxes, you'll generally get everything you need. You'll do something really generic and easy, and then the next thing you know, you're fucking collecting some weird obscure corner of the war and Bulgarian it's all good fun yeah exactly yeah bulgarian barge all right <laughs> well on that bulgarian note maybe it's uh time that we wrap everything up for the night Fuck yeah i'm knackered yep. i'm gonna get yeah, a bit well look thanks for joining us folks we really really uh, appreciate the uh the company um we'll uh try and get together probably post bear uh, so Sneaky and I can have a chat about how we went. Rubes, you coming to have a bear? Uh, I don't think I can make it, unfortunately. No, nah, it's two days. No, nah, it's a two-day yeah, two day event. So it's no good. But yeah, Sneaky and I will go there. We're going to check it out and we'll get it sorted. But yeah, just uh, to hit on again, just remember, folks, uh, terrain, we need it for CanCon. So uh, if you do have any getting contact with the Bacon Burgers or myself or Hari, um, and like I said, if you do have a, a mint table, uh, you stand your chance. You stand yourself a chance of winning a, a slab of beer. And, um, yeah, some other little uh, goodies and prizes that we've got floating around. Either either, I'm signing off. Gentlemen? Have a good one. Yep. I'm out of here, too. Stay <laughs> right. safe and uh, have fun. All right. See you, guys. What the Bulgarian said. Stay up. <laughs> Bye.